Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Monday Buckeye Talk. Doug Lambert, Stacey Baird, Stephen Major, do a depth chart. This is the beginning of season eight of Buckeye Talk. Started in the fall of 2015, and this is officially turning the page from season seven. Because we're doing depth charts, that means we're looking forward to 2022. So welcome to the 2022 football season, everybody. Nathan has painstakingly uh, been going through the depth chart, creating two deeps. Uh, for the Ohio State Buckeyes. This will be the offense. The Tuesday podcast will be the defense. And Nathan, you have good practice in this because Ohio State doesn't do depth charts anymore. So we do this. You do this all the time now. You are the, this may be the official depth chart. Let's just call it that. Welcome to the official depth chart of the Ohio State Buckeyes. Just like the Big Ten stopped doing preseason polls. We took it over. Ohio State, for whatever reason, stopped doing depth charts. Nathan Baird's depth chart is now the official depth chart. Congratulations, Nathan. You can put that on your resume. Yeah, I'm sure that'll that'll really be a selling point. I think I did 13 of them during the season. I did a couple other prediction ones. And um, I mean, just think of how many games the State would have lost if they had put a depth chart out each week. I mean, just like the moments where like, you know, Tyleek Williams is getting ready to run on the field and he's like, Coach Jay. Am I am I second team? Where am I? Do I go in now? And and Larry Johnson's like, hold on a second. And he goes on his tablet and he calls up cleveland.com slash OSU. And he searches for depth chart and he finds it. And he's like, yes, yeah. Tyleek, go in. Nathan Baird says, you are one of the backup defensive tackles this week. And listen, we're not here to make news and we're unbiased, but you know what? If every now and then Nathan can help Ohio state figure out which players to put on the field. I mean, you know, Maybe that happens sometimes. Um, Steven, how do you how important do you think Nathan Baird is to the success of the Ohio State Buckeyes at this point? I'm just like imagining Coach Jay having a pair um, of uh, binoculars. And when Tully is asking him that question, he just goes into binoculars and looks up to the sky at the press box and he goes and points at Talik and Nathan just goes, yep. Yep, we're all good there. You're good. It's like, good. It's and then he holds up like a 15. It's like 15 snaps. That's all he gets. They probably try to do that, except I'm not looking at the field at all because I'm texting and I'm tweeting and I'm writing yeah. and I'm doing 14 other things. So yeah, you're not doing a job, man. As an Ohio yeah, I'm State, supposed to be, as, a, 
As an unofficial Ohio State assistant coach, you're not doing your job. That's the problem with the defense. It had nothing to do with Kerry Cove. It's all Nathan's fault. I did. Now, listen, that, of course, does not happen. We're just joking. We just like to joke around this podcast. What I do think probably happened is at some points, Jim Knowles got hired and said to Ryan Day, hey, what's the two deep for the defense? And Ryan Day was like, I don't know. Check Nathan. That probably actually did happen, Nathan. That Jim Knowles has been on Cleveland.com looking at your depth chart. So t- tomorrow will be Jim Knowles Day. Today is Justin Friday. Justin Friday's like, ah, who's the backup? Who's like our fourth tackle? Justin, we're here for you. We'll let you know right now. Well, starting on, let's start on the offensive line. Because, you know, they say the games are won in the uh, trenches. trenches. So that's must be true. Just do the first team offensive line, Nathan, um, and then we'll do the second team. Unless you want to go like position by position, do you want to do tackles by themselves, then then interior, or how do you want to do this? Well, I think the tackles are set. Uh, if you're talking about first team tackles, right? Does anybody dispute that Paris Johnson Jr. on the left and Dewan Jones on the right are going to be this team's opening day tackles? So, wasn't there like a brief? something during Rose Bowl prep about like, yes. wait, might Dewan be the left tackle next year? And and having looked back at the 2018 spring game, when we all thought Isaiah Prince was going to move from the right side to the left side and Thayer Munford would come in and be the right tackle. And then it turns out Thayer just took over at left. This is almost the inverse of this, that we're assuming, well, just take like the guy who hasn't played tackle yet and put him at left tackle also because we think he's the best tackle and keep the guy on the right side on the right side, right? Which is what they wound up doing that year. Munford came from not starting to being the left tackle. Prince stayed at right tackle. He was the right tackle starter. He was the right tackle starter again. So Paris at left, DeWand at right would follow that. Now we're just, are we briefly 5% asking Nathan, is there any way they could decide to flip that? And, and make DeWan the left tackle? or Why did that? I can't even remember. What was it that came up that gave us that brief indication? So Kevin Wilson was asked, I think, about DeWan Jones prior to the Rose Bowl and gave some answer about him, you know, making his decision, but then said something along the lines of, um, and then we'll have, you know, then in the spring, we'll see about which of those guys ends up on the left side which at the time I actually read that as maybe being them trying to further entice Dewan Jones to come back mm. because I don't know. I, I don't really see it. I don't, I don't really think I see it. And I don't, I, number one, this is what Paris Johnson came here to do. I know that last year because of the circumstances he had to spend that extra year at guard. I'd be a little bit shocked if he didn't play left tackle this year, just because simply that is, his identity. That's what he came here to do. I think that's what he's expecting to do going into this third year too, in a different way than he was probably even expecting to do it last year. And also on top of that, I'm just not convinced that from a pass protection standpoint, Dewan Jones would be better than Paris Johnson. So no reason for us to really hesitate on this then, right, Steven? No. Paris, uh, uh, no. This is probably the most the second most set in stone thing about this offensive depth chart. Well, no third, I'll say third, because there's two other people who are pretty good. Three other, well, three other people who are. Yeah. yeah four. Well, yeah, four well, there's six guys, at least seventh, that could start seventh, on this. Team. 
<laughs> could start, but there are okay, there there's three spots where it's just like not even a conversation. You're just gonna say their name and we're gonna go yep and move forward. Well, we'll probably have a conversation. This podcast, you know how we are. We'll probably have a conversation. I mean, yeah, we'll yeah, we'll have a conversation because it's Buckeye talk, but like even if it's unnecessary. Yes, Buckeye talk. Because actually, because actually, one of the guys actually who's a sure thing. Actually, there is maybe a little bit about where he plays. Uh, Okay, so we're good with left tackle, right tackle, left tackles Paris, right tackles Dewan. And we'll move on from there. You you didn't Kevin were Kevin Wilson's words dancing in your ears, Nathan, or was it just like no? Go ahead. No, I remember him saying that, but even at, at the time, I was a little bit dismissive of it. And the more I think about it, I'm even more dismissive of it. I just don't know if Dewan Jones, as great as he can be, and as big as he is, I don't think he's going to have the kind of mobility you'd want at a left tackle. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it, it's his size, his expanse is an asset, but I think I want someone a little bit more nimble to adjust over there. I know that the pass rush, I mean, it can come from either side, et cetera, et cetera. I just think that Paris Johnson is much closer to like a, a prototypical left tackle that you want there. That would be a heck of a thing. If that's their strategy to make Paris play four years here, it's like, well, we know Paris that <laughs> – you might be the best left tackle in the country, but we really need you at right tackle this year and come back in 2023 and you can be the left tackle then. And Paris is like, I'll do what's no. best for the team. <laughs> He's there, like, Paris, no, I'm going to Bama. <laughs> he snaps. He's like, this is too far. I can't yeah, no. do this anymore. Okay, I- Paris Johnson at left tackle. Then. By the way, threat of Bama. Bama, the thing people, when Nick Saban, this bowl season said or like before the national championship game or the semifinal whatever was like we maybe should look at these transfer rules because like whatever and people like oh nick saban like you wouldn't and nick saban's like okay and so nick saban just got nick alabama loses to georgia and then alabama just takes the guy who like i guess was gonna be georgia's best receiver next year and he just transfers to alabama in addition to georgia tech's leading rusher and Elias Ricks, one of the best defensive backs in the country. And Nick Saban's like, and 12 Bama guys have gone in the portal since the national championship game, but nobody cares. Like it's all like the guys are going to Kentucky and stuff. It's like, good, but Bama's winning the transfer portal. So like the idea of like, <laughs> of like, you know, you don't think Jermaine Burton and, and Jameer Gibbs and uh, Elias Ricks to Bama. That's a good trade for Bama three in 12 out. Those three no, guys are going to start for them. I, you know, you're right. I just, I don't, they're getting needs still. It's not like they're, oh my God, they've got five five star receivers. And then they just added Burton on top of it. It's like, no, they need receivers because their receivers aren't very good. They don't That's have the their corner point, but they're adding right. starters. Yeah. They added I know, a starting but- linebacker and a starting receiver last year. They're adding a starting receiver, like a guy who's going to be probably share their running back load and a guy who's going to start in their defensive backfield. They're at they're adding, but they're not just adding one, they're adding multiple. Yeah. And they're pulling like, why is Jermaine Burton leaving leaving Georgia? What reason does he have? Uh, well, actually, he doesn't want to play with Dustin Barnett anymore. That sets a better. That actually probably is fair. Yeah. But like, what? I, I don't like. He just won the national championship. He beat Alabama, and the guy who's one of their leading receivers is just going to Bama. I don't think he's being shoved out at Georgia. Saban's like, okay, 
Okay, like, and everyone, you know, it is weird. It's a little interesting. Not weird. I mean, it's expected to see 12 guys leave Bama in the portal. But, like, I think Jaleel Billingsley, the tight end, is, like, the only guy of, like, real note. There's, I mean, there's guys going to some decent places, but, like, Bama's fine without him. Bama's going to win the portal if you keep letting this happen. The idea that Jermaine Burton can, like, win a national championship with Georgia and then just decide to go to Alabama, like, I don't know for what reason. Not that you you don't have to have a reason anymore. Because he only had 26 catches for 500 yards. That's why he's leaving Georgia. But now that's, I mean, but he's like, going that's to Bama, the world. Like, I mean, we're, yeah. we're approaching, we're like, we're edging toward, you know, Caleb Williams or like, he's already going to transfer. We're, we're edging toward, I'll just use this as an example because it's not an example. CJ Stroud transferring to Bama, right? Because it's like CJ Stroud decides to stay one more year. Bryce Young leaves. Ohio State loses to Alabama in the national championship game. And CJ Stroud just goes to Bama. And I don't mean to do that to CJ Stroud. He won't do that. But I'm just saying, like, we're edging toward that level of player doing that. And Saban is warning us. And when Saban warned college football, everybody was like, ah, Nick Saban, why don't you shut up trying to limit the ability of players to go wherever they want? And he's like, okay. I don't know, Nathan. It's it's uh, like just to say, like, if a guy at Ohio State, like, doesn't really get what he wants after putting it, you know, giving it a couple of years, like the joke of like, ah, if he does, if you don't make him a left tackle, he'll just go to Bama. It's Nathan, like the idea of that's like becoming less of a joke, right. And m- more of a potential reality. And like, if that ever happened, I just, I'm not sure what people would, how people would take it. And in Ohio state could in turn be a similar beneficiary of that to, to some degree, as we've talked about, we don't want this to be the whole sidetrack of what we're talking about today. It's just that I just want to make sure that when we talk about this, we remind people that the only reason the portal is that open is because that's the way the NCAA member bodies want it to be in lieu of paying the players. That's the only reason it's that open. Yeah. So go I talk did- to your school presidents about this. Don't go talk to your coaches and ADs. Not that you get to, pick up the phone and call them, I suppose. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that's where the change would have to happen. It would have to be, it, that's why, that this is the compensation that the players get in exchange for other compensation. And it's the thing of like a place like Bama, and Bama may be alone, but you're just making Bama more Bama. They actually lose guys that, like maybe in the past would have hung around, and I don't want to say like taken up a scholarship, but sort of, I mean that that like they're losing second and third string guys. And then it's like, Oh, how are they going to replace them? It's like, I don't know, recruit more five stars and yeah. add, you know, three in 12 out three starters in 12 backups out. That's good math for Bama. Bama doesn't have to recruit the developmental guy anymore. And so, we'll see if any other school decides to take that approach in the near future. But for right now, yes, I will agree with that. Bama doesn't have to go get the guy who's rated as a 200 best player in the country anymore because why take why waste that scholarship spot when you can just wait until the next Jamison Williams isn't happy that he's the third option at another school and wants to get to the NFL draft a year earlier. Well, you still take him. You'll still fill out a recruiting class. You just don't care when they leave. And you don't have to rely on them. Right. Like you don't like you don't you can try to develop them, but if you don't, you're not hurt yeah. by it. So I, I don't know. Again, players, players have power. Great. Um I'm not sure that it's working out exactly how everybody thought. All right. We're going to do some tangents because it's a depth chart. I mean, no offense. I know you did a lot of work on it, Nathan. There's a lot of these are like, you know, everybody listening could do Dewan Jones at right tackle, Paris Johnson at left tackle. So we'll throw, we'll throw some tangents in where need be. 
How did you, I'm curious to see how you did this because we've talked about four guys for three interior spots. I'm curious to see where you landed. Because again, I did not yet read the post. The post is up Monday morning. We're doing this a little bit later, the Monday pod, getting it up Monday. But this is out for the world to see. What do you got for us on the two guard spots in that center? So yeah, it's basically where do you start? Who among those four starts? Harry Miller, Matt Jones, Luke Whipler, Donovan Jackson. I'm leaving Luke Whipler at center. I feel like he had a pretty solid year at center. I, there were obviously some growing pains, as it would be for any second-year guy that you're throwing out there for the first time, a redshirt freshman. I thought he acquitted himself pretty well. And a guy that I think is known for his work ethic and taking this seriously, I think there's room for really good growth off of this first-year experience for him going into what would be his second year as a starter. So I'm going to leave him there winning that job, but also partially because I'm put down Harry Miller as the starter at left guard. And my reasoning there is that he has essentially won starting jobs the past two years. And in two years ago, Matt Jones would be one of the guys he's directly beating out to take that job to be the starter at left guard in 2020. And then last year, from everything Greg Strudrawa said, Harry Miller was going to start at center until he had an injury setback that he just could never shake and never got that job back. I think Harry Miller is one of this team's best five offensive linemen. He's one of the five most talented offensive linemen on this team. And based on that precedent, that's why I think he starts. So then who starts at right guard? My projection, I put Donovan Jackson there, sort of along the same line of thinking that I think when Ohio State has had this decision to make in recent years, whether it was Paris Johnson Jr. last year, whether it was um, Harry Miller two years ago, I feel like they lean towards the elite talent there and what what could happen um, and where that person could grow by the end of that season and the fact that they're a higher ceiling guy. He may not be as polished as Matt Jones, but I think he's just the more talented guy. So my three, the way I guessed predicted however you want to say it is Harry Miller at left guard Luke Whipler at center Donovan Jackson at right guard that would mean another year of Matt Jones as like the sixth guy um, which he probably would not be happy with and I don't know if Ohio State would use a a, a six-man look the way it did this past year because the dynamical change without being loaded up with tackles at guard spots but he's got experience at guard he's got experience at center if you need a utility guy he um, is someone who kind of could fit that niche so I do wonder, so you think they might do it less, that they were willing to take Munford and Paris off the field at times at guard or move or kick Munford out to tackle for a couple snaps and move guys around, but they'd be less inclined to do it with Miller coming off an injury and Jackson as a young guy who's never played before? No, I think there's an argument to be made for that. But I would also say that when, we, when you look back at it, and we talked about this in real time too, it wasn't like they went into a lot of games saying we're going to do a six man rotation. A lot of times something would happen. Somebody would get a little bit banged up. Um, something would be off and that's why they would make those changes. And that's why the sixth guy would get used a lot. So more often than not, that's what it was. It wasn't just a pure, Hey, we're throwing a guy in just to get him snaps. At least it didn't look like that to me, but there was always some precipitating event. So I think that would, probably also be the case next year i don't think they're going to do it just to do it um but you you make a good point that because harry miller just missed pretty much a whole season uh because donovan jackson would be so young at right guard um or wherever he plays that 
it would make some sense, I guess. And but then again, that could be enticement for Matt Jones, I suppose, that you would still have a, a fairly significant role, even though you wouldn't be a starter. We don't. We're not here to goof around with guys' lives, but we're gonna with the portal making it much easier for guys to go. And like we said, guys are going all over the place. Steven, do you think there's any possibility, like if Matthew Jones gets out of spring, not believing that he's a starter, that he might leave because he is, he's a fifth year guy. He was a top 100 national recruit in the class of 2018. When he got here, he played well when he played last year and he probably wants to play in the NFL and being a fifth year, sixth offensive lineman for Ohio state, I don't know if that's the way that he would believe would be his best path to the NFL. Maybe. What do you think, Stephen? I mean, we asked when we asked him about it. I think it was fall camp. Um, he didn't even give any type of indication that his head was even in that space. But yeah, because I mean, he's a top 100 recruit who's in his fifth year, and he's never really been the leader for a job since he's been here. As Nathan just pointed out, he's been beat out by second year guys multiple times here now and so it's like okay i got beat out by a second year guy in 2020 and i got beat out by a second year guy who's actually a tackle in 2021 and now you're telling me i'm getting beat out by another second year guy in 2022 at some point you probably get sick of getting beat out by second year guys well but he he was the leader i think last offseason right didn't we think until august that matthew jones was going to start last year and then the dewan jones thing happened and we were like oh okay so he, he did get beat out by a younger guy, but which but I'm not way, saying that takes away from your point, but he actually, I think, has been sort of positioned to get ready to start and then not and then hasn't started. Yeah, but it was also the conversation of him and Josh Fryer. Fryer was like a conversation at one point of like which one of those guys can be consistent. One of those guys might win the job. That was a discussion at one point from the coaching staff. So he was still yeah, in a did. battle with somebody. So if you would have asked me, I don't know, last June and even like last August 10th, will Matthew Jones start for Ohio State in the opener in 2021? I think I would have said yes. Would you have said yes, Nathan? Like I I get the Josh Fire thing, but I didn't really think that. I know Josh Fire was good in the spring and whatever, but I thought Matthew Jones had a chance to hold him off. Like, hey, Matthew Jones will get it together and whatever, and then he'll be the guy. Um, I don't know. Nathan, go ahead. Yeah, no, I would have said that too because – I don't think we had a grasp yet of the leap that Dewan Jones had taken. And I think it was legitimate. I, I, you can say what you will about the, the, this, how this worked out playing four tackles on the offensive line. But I think that Dewan Jones legitimately is this good and can, you know, be a, you know, upper echelon big 10 or beyond player. So we hadn't seen that gap close the way that it obviously had uh, until they actually made that switch. So, Nathan, what do you think of the idea of, like, Matthew Jones, maybe if he doesn't think he's going to be a starter coming out of spring, thinking about something else, about leaving? I, I would. I, again, because I think at that point you've, you've paid your dues and you've, you've put yourself – you've done about everything you can do as a backup to prove you should start, I think, at that point, at least on the field. Now, we don't ever see everything behind the scenes. And they did talk about consistency being an issue for him in the past. But I thought he played pretty consistently well when he actually got a chance to play this past season. And, and that includes um, in the Rose Bowl getting to play it, an entire game when um, when Nicholas Fair wasn't around anymore and they bumped their Munford back out the left tackle. So it's the one – it's the thing that I maybe am the most – 
unsure about is I, I really thought about making him the starter at right guard and having Donovan Jackson just still wait another year to be a starter. But I, it feels just like Donovan Jackson might be um, a, a pretty special talent that is ready to, to break through. But to go back on the point I was making before, when they moved, when they made Matt Jones, the starter at left guard in 2020, it seemed kind of like, well, who else really is the choice? And last year it seemed like kind of a no brainer that you'd make Paris uh, Johnson, the starter at right guard. And in a different way, partially because he was the one who could handle that job better. But that tells you again, in both of those situations. So I guess the point I was making was with Donovan Jackson, be a second year guy, maybe in this year, this, this circumstance, you wouldn't have to force a second year guy in if he wasn't quite ready. But in both those previous instances, there, those were instances of guys who beat out Matt Jones, who were given that job instead of Matt Jones. So, Stephen, let me ask you this. Should Ohio, should Justin Fry and Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson take into account the idea that, hey, if let's say, let's operate under the premise that Harry Miller locks down a spot and Luke Whipler locks down a spot, and it's Donovan Jackson versus Matthew Jones for a guard spot. Should the fact that one is a second-year guy and one is a fifth-year guy who maybe would leave if he doesn't get a play, should that factor into their decision? Should they, as much as, because Nathan, you're right that I guess the last couple they've leaned young guy, a couple of years ago, whenever it was, when it was Brandon Bowen versus Nicholas petit Frere, they picked Brandon Bowen. And they picked the older guy, and Nicholas petit Frere just had to wait again. And so Nicholas petit Frere didn't start until his third year, and it worked out pretty good for him. So should the coaches think about that? Nathan, if you want to say something here, go ahead. I just want to interject real quick that we should always remember that with, with MPF, there was like a physical, like he just wasn't physically big enough yet. They didn't think to play that position. So that that is a little bit of a wrinkle, but your point taken. Go ahead. Should they, should they factor it in Steven? Like we want to, the best way to keep, we like our six. The best way to keep our six together is to have Matthew Jones be the starter. No, you can't be worried about guys. Guys are going to leave. That's just, you can't even be worried about at this point. If Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones are equal, start Donovan Jackson. That's the only thing they have to think about in that situation. And I know this is many moons ago now, but how about the 2014? And I bring it up every time because it's like the only time it ever worked. 2014 middle linebacker, Curtis Grant, Raquan McMillan shared it. Could you share it? Could you name co-starters? Matthew Jones starts one week. Donovan Jackson starts another week. Hey, we don't normally rotate offensive linemen series to series, but we have six starting level guys and we're going to play them. And we think, Half of Matthew Jones and half of Donovan Jackson is the best for thing for those guys who both deserve it. If anybody gets hurt or whatever else, we'll be ready to roll. And they're co-starters and they're the brotherhood is strong. And let's roll with, with a depth chart that has an or or an and that is actually true. And they share it. Everybody's happy, Stephen. Do we just make everybody happy? I hate it. Um, but I, I hate it. And I'm pretty sure the way I asked Ryan a question about this year, I'm pretty sure like underlining was, I hate this. Why are you doing this? But I mean, if Matthew Jones is still here and he's not the starter, I won't be shocked if they do it, especially, I don't know if they would do it the Notre Dame game. Cause you just need to win that game. But if all six of these guys are still here, I won't be shocked to see a rotation against Arkansas state and Toledo. Yeah. But, but like, is everybody happy if you have a, if you're sharing a starter spot like that, I think, I think there's two guys there. that aren't that happy. They both want to be starters. They want to both want to be the guy full time. I think they should apply the Brian Hartline logic and go, why would I take this guy off the field? If he's not at the, at bare minimum, equal talent. 
So Matthew Jones played 390 snaps this year. In comparison, uh, Nicholas Petit Frere played 768. Dewan Jones played 722. Paris Johnson played 699. Thayer Munford played 634. Luke Whipler actually led the team in snaps, 791. He played like basically every snap, every game all year. So 390, you know, whatever that is, that 65% of what the starters played. Um, I just, I just really am curious about Matthew Jones as he tries to maximize himself and what is probably his last year of college football. If that's enough for him, he's probably too good for that. Honestly, like that we've had some guys come through here at Ohio state that we've, we've seen guys that as like sort of fifth year guys popped and had were one year starter, Chase Ferris, Daryl Baldwin. Um, but Matthew, Matthew Jones, I think this yeah, year four was a pretty good year four. That year four for Matthew Jones, Nathan, feels like to me a, a preparation to start full time in year five. And the idea that he would say, I am a starting offensive lineman for a top 25 football team. I, I don't think that's I'm not sure that would be much in dispute that I, he could start for Wake Forest. Right. And I'm like, Wake, like 10 win Wake Forest. He could start for you start for Penn State. You know, he could start for a lot of people. I, I do just think that's a very real possibility. If he feels like I'm not going to be a starter, then I got to go. like, no offense. Like he almost, he'd have to think hard about it, but like, I got to play, man. I got to get film. I got to get as much film as possible because I'm trying to make a living at this. And, and don't forget, this is a guy that started uh, when Miller was out in the playoff uh, against Clemson two years ago. And then when Miller came back, he still started over him in the national championship game. So this is a guy who, again, I think he's proven himself in every way as a backup. And when I, put him as a backup on this depth chart it's not really a slight against him it's just me trying to kind of read how Ohio State has made these decisions in the past what I do think is interesting here it's going to come up a lot more when we talk about the defense and uh, you maybe this is coach Beak whatever but I you can look at this right now and see how much competition there is between certainly now in the end of mid-April and then now in August like the competition for those three inside spots should be pretty intense are you how married are you to the idea that Luke Whipple just keeps that job? Because I'm not sold he keeps it. I think it's on the table, but I, I think he played pretty well this past year. And I don't know that I, I, if you're just trying to make the best five offensive linemen. Like, I, I, I guess there's like. I feel like there's a lot of room there for because Harry Miller did win that job. As you said, like, that was his job. And then he got hurt that Harry Miller just might be better than him. Well, but let me ask this. Who was better as a first-year starter as a second-year player? Harry Miller or Luke Whipler? Whipler, but also, I mean, the caveat of Harry Miller hasn't had a spring football season yet, and it was a weird COVID year, and he got thrown in some random situations, has to matter as a first-year starter, I especially think on matters. the offensive line. I think that matters when you're judging their first year performance. I don't think it matters now. I think now Luke Whipplers had a very productive season at that position. Let's also not forget the rapport, the connection, whatever that gets built with a quarterback. Now, do you want to mm. disrupt that? Like I would almost feel like that's also in, in Luke Whipplers favor. You still got the same quarterback there. Why not let them build on that for another year? And, and, and uh, Harry Miller has played extensively a guard. So I, I will also say they, they, Obviously, they fell into this world for a few years with Pat Elfline, then Billy Price, then Michael Jordan, where they were playing guards 
at center for a year. They were sliding guys through there. And that worked. I mean, it, it worked, especially with Alfine and Price. It didn't work as well with Jordan. Jordan was never a center. He was just doing what had to be done in that moment. Um, I don't think it's terrible. The, the, not the Whippler's better than this, but like the Jacoby Boren model of center where it's like you really – I'm not even sure you could be a guard. Jacoby Boren I don't think could have been a guard. He was undersized as a center. But Urban always called him like the pivot point of the offense, right? But like as a center, as a guy who's like setting blocking schemes and has a connection with the quarterback – and is like the leader of this. And like, we believe in this guy. We rely on this guy. He's built to be a center. I don't even know if he's an, he's not an NFL player. Jacoby Bourne was never an NFL player. Um, I'm not saying that Luke Whippler, Luke Whippler, his profile is higher than that. He came in as a top 100 recruit, but that, you know what? Like we just trust him as center and let's just lock him in there and let everybody else, these talented interior linemen slide around here, but we're just going to lock that guy in there and not move him for four years. I, I, it's not a terrible idea to me. And I, and I think that could happen because I do think sort of what you're saying, I think Nathan is if Harry Miller is not your center, he seems, I mean, he's already been a starting guard at Ohio state. If Whippler's not your center, I'm not sure about how he competes at guard. And so like, you know what I mean? I'm not saying it couldn't do it either. And I'm sure if you look him up there, the size is not that different. I don't know. I don't have the depth. Of the He's got 15 pounds and an inch on him. Harry does. Okay. So the size is a little bit different. Yeah. I think that might factor in a little bit, Nathan, right? That if you think you have four guys for three spots, maybe if Whippler's not the center, it's like, well, then we've got our three, you know, that Whippler's in the backup center. I think maybe Harry's, more versatile and uh, it opens up some possibilities. I mean, Matthew Jones could play center too. It's like, oh, right. you have a bunch of guys who can play center, but maybe you have one guy who's kind of only a center. Yeah. Going back to what I was saying before, I'd make everybody earn it. I'd make Luke Whippler think he's got two people he's competing with for that center job between now and August. Why not? I'd make all, all four of those guys believe that they could compete for guard if they want to. I mean, that's only going to make that group better. I think in the long run, give everybody a chance to fully compete for those jobs. But I, I just think at the end of the day, sort of along what you're saying, the continuity of it, that might be the one position of those three where I think not just pure athletic upside, skill upside, whatever would decide the outcome that there are maybe some intangibles that would go into who you pick to be the center. So let me ask this about Donovan Jackson. Cause we haven't talked about him a ton. Steven, how if Paris Johnson was on a like, OK, we get it, whatever this guy in his second year in the program has to start. So we get that you're not playing him at his normal position. But like a year ago, when we were trying to figure out the offensive line, like how could you not have Paris Johnson starting? The guy's a five star who, you know, could have played as a freshman if needed. How close is Donovan Jackson to that level? that this is now going to be Donovan Jackson's second year. He was in the two deep in year one. He had that role as the little occasional extra lineman. Mm. They put him in a different jersey, fifth tight end, whatever, kind of stuff that makes Bill Landis have sweet dreams at night. Is is Donovan Jackson close to the level of, man, whatever we do, like that guy's got to start. Like he's he's a stud and he's ready to play and ready to help this team. Yeah, I think he's the best player in that recruiting class like he's better at doing his job than everybody else is in that 2021 recruiting class is at their job that's what I mean when I say he's the best player obviously the 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 major difference I think with him and Paris is especially right now where we're at um or when they both came in is that you're not thinking Paris is going to 
have like this, you know, roadblock because everybody's going to get an extra year. So you don't have to play him at tackle while with Donovan Jackson, you do have options, but I do think they're on the same trajectory as guys were like, okay, year two, they should be starting. And at least when they first get here as true freshmen, even if it goes nowhere, you at least ask the position coach the question of, Hey, could he start as a true freshman? I think he's that good. And he's a mall, especially in the run game. Um, Whoever the center is at him, I mean, we could be talking about another, you know, Myers Davis type highway because he's that he's he's really good and he's really athletic for his size. Number 19 recruit in the 247 composite five star from Texas. And again, when Steven, you say you think he's the best football player at his position in that class. That's in comparison to JT Tumaloa, Jack Sawyer, Emeka Buka, Trevion Henderson, Jordan Hancock, Jacqueline Johnson. Marvin Harrison Jr., like Tyleek Williams. That's what we're talking about. Denzel Burke, that's what we're talking about with this guy. A top 20 national recruit who was in the two deep last year. And I guess if we think about him on the Paris Johnson level, it's like, well, whatever you do, make sure he's one of these five. And I think that you have him as one of the five, Nathan. And I think that's probably the right way to go. And the idea that a fifth-year guy who's been a good player. Matthew Jones has been a good player, but that you would sort of hold back a second-year five-star for a guy who, you know, through his first four years has not won a starting job yet probably maybe does seem like not the thing that that would be the best thing for the football program. So I think in the end, do we – the idea of Paris at left tackle, Harry Miller at left guard, Whippler at center – Donovan Jackson at right guard, Dewan Jones at right tackle, and Matthew Jones floating and ready and maybe leaving. Do we sort of all agree that that kind of makes pretty good sense to us? I, I think in the end, talking it out, that I think I this is probably the, the thing I would arrive at as well. Steven, do you basically agree with this? I know you said you, you seem a little more open to like maybe Whippler's not a starter, but does this make sense at least? Yeah, I, I, I'm fine with the three people he picked to be the starters, if that's the fun. And then obviously, yeah, the tackles are who they are. Yes. I mean, no matter how you arrange that, you're pushing aside someone who probably feels like they should be starting this fall. Yeah. Which is what good football teams do. Too many good players. Hashtag too many good players. All right, let's do the second team offensive line right now. So slot Matthew Jones at one of the guard spots. You have him at right guard behind Jackson. I had him at left guard behind Miller, but it okay. it's, doesn't really matter. He would be the next guard up. Next guard. Um, up. Similarly, at center, I had Jacob James, who was the second guy on the fictional depth chart this past. No, season. Toby Wilson. <laughs> and I think he would. Oh, whoever, because it doesn't matter. It's still one of those other two <laughs> yeah. guys. It's still whoever you pick as the center between Whipler, Miller, and Jones. The other two guys are going to play center before any backup center plays center, probably. Um, I took Enoch Vamahi and put him back at guard behind Donovan Jackson. He was at left tackle a lot this past year. That seemed like more out of necessity. I guess I could see him still being there uh, this coming year. Um, I sort of took a, a little bit of a flyer and put Zim Michalski as the backup left tackle because he's a guy that gets name dropped by a lot of the other linemen. And he's six, seven. He's got that sort of like sheer size that would maybe hold up in a pinch if you needed him. And then I just left Josh Fryer at right tackle, but he's another guy whose versatility would maybe have him a next guy up at not just right tackle, but maybe at one of those interior spots as well. So I think the number one question then, because we automatically have a backup interior offensive line, right? If Jones, if all four of those guys stay, you have your answers in there. If, if 
either Paris Johnson or Dewan Jones gets abducted by aliens for a game. Who's the next tackle? Who plays in the game? I don't have a great answer for that right now. Because one of the things that I, I think I, you have in mind is like compared to Machowski and Fryer. Now, Fryer competed pretty well. Yeah. Fryer was in a hype video. Fryer had his hype video three day span in the spring of like, whoa, is Josh Fryer going to start on the offensive line? But he was he a guard? He was a guard, right? Yeah. He was. Video? Um, no, he was at tackle. He was? That, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was at tackle. Because somebody didn't practice, like I, I'm pretty like I think at the time, Thera Munford and and uh, Nicholas Petit Frere were still left tackle, right tackle, and I think obviously because Thera Munford's a three year starter, he's probably on some type of pitch count in the spring. So, so I, I thought think- there was a competition between Matt Jones and Fryer at one point when Miller was out. I think Miller that didn't was really participate in the spring. I think that was early in the fall before the Dewan Jones thing became like a thing. So Fryer at least has been in the mix during the spring and preseason, right? And Machalski is clearly not, not that he should have been. He's a super young guy. True, but 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 players did. I, I had conversations with players a couple times last year where Machalski's name came up. Okay, that'd be a great thing for this team if that is true. The thing that I'm getting to that I'm asking about is Bamahi is a guy that's been around and it was t- took – pregame snaps a defensive line for a game this year, right? That seems like he's well, last year, the national championship, the game. national championship, right? Game. Seems like he's maybe more of an interior offensive lineman, but as you said, Nathan has taken snaps at tackle. I wonder if, especially if somebody's abducted in the middle of a game, if they, if you maybe would arrive at the point, like, well, the guy that we would trust the most to throw in yep. against Notre Dame in the third quarter if Paris Johnson has to go report a story for the lantern and has to leave the game, I'm what I just don't like talking about injuries, but if you need a guy in a, in a pinch, would you maybe, would it maybe be Vamahi? And if that's the case, would you want him getting tackle snaps? Because yeah. to put him at in the interior, he's, he's no more than your fifth interior guy. He, he might be your, I guess he is your fifth interior guy, but like you're, if Jones stays, you're okay. You already have your answer. If he's your third swing tackles, a real thing. Who's your next tackle? And I think that is as much as it feels like the ta- start, uh, not that, not that it feels like it is the starting tackles are set and the interior guys, they have options. I think Nathan figuring out the third tackle in the spring and in August is like a big thing. Like they have to, who's the guy you have faith in next. And I think maybe my guess I, to me, it would either, I mean, I guess if you're saying they're saying good stuff about Machalski. Maybe it's Machalski, but Fryer has been there, but maybe it's Vamahi. Well, I think at some point you do have to start developing that next actual tackle because the other thing to remember is, yes, you need a third tackle for 2022, and then you need number one tackles for 2023. And right now you don't know for sure who those are going to be because DeWan Jones we know is gone, and we assume Paris Johnson Jr. is too, and that leaves a gap there. So I, I, maybe Josh Fryer – is still around and, and wins and takes one of those jobs for 2023, but you still got to find, you still got to develop a real tackle for 2023 as well. And guys like Vamahi and you wonder it about prior. I mean, I think those guys have proven enough that you do trust them in a pinch. Do you trust them if they have to play a stretch of several games at tackle in the big 10? I think that's something that they would have to like live up to a little bit. I do think it's possible that like, well, 
their starting tackles for 2023 are currently like the starting right tackle for Texas Tech and the starting left tackle for Washington State, right? I mean, that's very possible. Sure. But it's also possible that Josh Fryer and Zen Machalski are the guys that you're developing to be your starting tackles in 2023, but Enoch Lamahi is your best swing tackle in 2022. Mm-hmm. I think those could be two different things. Yep. It, does, it doesn't make me laugh, but this is how this works. The idea when... Ryan Day flew 27 hours to Hawaii to visit Enoch Vamahi for 11 minutes and get him in that first 2019 recruiting class. And people were like, oh, 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 the gra- it's the greatest recruiting story in the history. Of- oh, they got Enoch Vamahi's entering his fourth year and hasn't played. So it's like, it's fine. But like, I knew it's like, I mean, it's the nature of recruiting, but you know, it was like Ryan Day went and saved the offensive line shortly after becoming the head coach. And it's like, well, I got in play for three years, whatever. It's fine. But like it, it was not a game changing recruitment. There's still oh, it the point where it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, the guy's a top 25, top 125, not top 25, top 125 national recruit. So he was rated high. But it's like, did you think he was going to get a three year starter in Hawaii with an 11 pro- minute visit? No, it was just, it's fine. The problem isn't even a Bamahi thing because it's like, yeah, that was made too big of a deal. The problem is, man, they were they they swung out on all of their Dewan Jones approaches in 2020. Like they went and got Paris, but then it's Grant Tuton 463. You know, Josh Pryor's 510. Obviously, he might be in the, the mix here. Jacob James 852, and then Trey LaRue's on the outside of the top 1,000. And none of those and. Grant Tutant and Trey LaRue are, should be, you know, at this point, and at least in the conversation of, hey, can they be backup tackles at this point in their career in year three? And, like, that's not at all where either one of those guys are because they're such long-term development but, guys. But I would say I, uh, year three is is a big change. We, we will need to see how some of this looks in the spring. I'll be interested to see who's getting what reps in the spring because I, I feel like there is a difference between a, even a second-year and third-year tackle, especially when you're talking about those developmental guys. Well, the other thing is, so that group of four, I think it's fair to lump those four together, right? James Fryer, Tuton, and LaRue. We, we knew mm-hmm. what was happening at the moment. Uh, three of the four from Ohio and the other ones from Indiana. Is that right? I mean, it's uh, all no, Midwestern two, guys. Two, yeah, two from uh, James and LaRue are from Ohio, Fryer's from Indiana, and Tuton's from Michigan. So, yeah, okay. all in the so big So four Midwest guys, four lower-rated guys in a pinch. They had to do what they had to do. If they go like one and a half for four, I think that's an okay conversion rate on those guys. You never, I mean, yeah. you don't go four for four on any offensive line recruits, but especially with guys all ranked that low, they were never going to go four for four. They weren't going to go three for four. So if it's like Fryer, the way it, we're talking with like your depth chart so far, Nathan, if it's like Fryer develops into a guy who's like legitimately competing for a starting spot and James is like a good backup. And the other two, or whatever, maybe it flips. Maybe by the time we get to the next fall, it's Tuton and LaRue who are doing it. I think that's an okay conversion, right? You just like that can't be your class. That can't be your offensive line recruiting class every year. But for that, that moment when it happened, we all knew what was happening in the moment. It wasn't their plan. It was a one-time thing. It wasn't great. They had to do what they had to do. I think one and a half for four would be okay, Nathan. And always, I like to throw this out as a reminder. Sometimes a guy who's ranked like, 462 nationally would be the number one or number three recruit in a lot of classes in the big 10. And that's not the Ohio state standard, but I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. when you are talking about 
is a can a guy develop to the point where he's your backup and you would trust him to start a game if he had to and i you know what i mean like if he had to fill in for a, a shorter period of time not a guy that you would necessarily bank a season on but a guy who can hold his own in a short stretch because he probably would be starting elsewhere in the big 10 if he decided to go elsewhere in the big 10 also again like nobody ever wants to admit this or nobody agrees with me or whatever which is fine nobody agrees with me buckeye talk i guess it's okay to recruit backup offensive linemen because guess what your team needs backup offensive linemen and guess what your else your team needs backup offensive linemen who won't leave so if you recruit four Midwestern kids who are like, we think they can develop into guys who can be one of our 10 best offensive linemen, that if we need them, we would trust them to play once they get to year three, four, five, probably especially year four or five. But in the meantime, we're going to drop some JC Lathams on top of them to start ahead of them. That's okay. But Nathan, Stephen, the thing that is happening here is that they didn't drop as many, they needed to drop one more JC Latham or Zach Rice on top of that group. Mm-hmm. It's not that group. Those guys are who they are. Good luck to them. And again, Pat Elfline was rated in the thousands. Sometimes Dewan Jones was a diamond in the rough. Sometimes those guys hit, but it's not about them. It's about the guys they did not get who were ranked higher than them, who put more pressure now. Okay, well, now we need a couple of these guys. And again, this season, they're not at that point. We are not talking because Dewan Jones stayed. We are not talking about, well, can Josh Fryer start? We're not talking about that. This is fine. I think the backup, the line that you came up as a second team line, Nathan, I think is fine. I think is solid. But once you get to 2023, there's some real issues, but that's the issue, Stephen, not those four, the guys that it's the guys they didn't get. Yeah. If, if JC Latham's momentum doesn't take him to Bama, then this gets fun at tackle this year. Cause then it's like, all right, are you starting the two guys who are the, number one tackles in the recruiting classes, or are you starting to diamond in the rough? You're in that world now. But even more importantly, if for if Zach Rice would have came here this June and it felt like that was now a real possibility that you could actually land him, and then you're going, okay, he's a backup in year one, and he takes over and starting in year two, you're fine. But you don't have that yeah. right now. I do think in the end, I think this – how did you feel about these five? When you put these five names, Nathan – as the second team offensive line. Did you think that's a good big 10? That's a good, that's a playoff level back. I don't even know what that means. I don't know. This is a playoff (laughs) level backup offensive line. Or did it, did you feel like this is getting thin sooner than it should? Well, just compare it to this past season where you had Donovan Jackson waiting in the wings at right guard. You had Matt Jones, who had clearly proven himself again to be starter worthy, but you know wasn't starting yet. Um, it felt like, and then you had Harry Miller, who was hurt and should have been in that mix. Like the abundance of extra offensive talent that this 2021 team had, there's definitely a drop in, seems to be a drop in talented depth to this year. I think it's not only a problem for 2023. I think it is a potentially bigger problem if the injury or absence, whatever happens at the wrong spot at the wrong time for this offensive line in 2022. Cause Whipler's actually the example here because Whipler's the backup who had to be a starter yep. for the entire 2021 season. Cause five-star returning starter, Harry Miller got hurt. So who's the whip? Like, so Jones is Jones. Jones is back in this scenario. Jones is back in the Jones role. Last year they had Matthew Jones. Like, well, they have Matthew Jones. But like, who's the whippler of these backup guys? And 
just based on recruiting ranking, which is all, you know, what else? Should be Vamahi. But it's like Vamahi, James, Machalski, Fryer. I guess it would have to be Vamahi. Then if, if something got a little goofy and you're like, and that was the story of how Enoch Vamahi wound up starting all season, leading Luke Whipler led the 2021 offense in snaps. When probably in an ideal world, he wouldn't have been a starter. Harry Miller was healthy. Could Enoch Vamahi lead the 2022 offense in snaps and the offense be fine? Maybe. It's top 25, 125 national recruit who's been here a long time. I guess that's maybe. Again, and as you said, maybe. I mean, it's really not the point, but it's like Jeff Brom would crawl, crawl over broken glass to take the backup Ohio State offensive line and drop them in his Purdue starting offensive line. But that is also not the point. Okay. Overall, is this collection of 10, Nathan, a step up, a step down, or pretty even to like the collection of 10, this offensive line group that the Buckeyes wound up playing in 2021? Well, the collection one through 10 is not better than what they had this past year, I don't think. I think that starting group, when you talk about actual natural guards playing guard, the, the ceiling might be higher for what that group could be in 2022. But it, it collectively, it, it's definitely a, a step back, I think. I agree with that. Higher ceiling, but a lower floor at the same time. Yeah, maybe a little more susceptible to a guy missing here or there. But if you like go through and compare, it's like year two Dewan versus as a starter versus year one Dewan. That should be an improvement, right? Year one Donovan Jackson starting versus year one Paris Johnson starting. Paris was good, but like Donovan Jackson's supposed to be a guard. That could be, that maybe could be even better. Again, nobody's complaining about what Paris did this season. Luke Whippler in year two as a starter versus Luke Whippler in year one. All right, I'll take year two Whippler. Harry Miller versus Thayer Munford. Like Thayer Munford is a very, very good football player. If Harry Miller gets it right, I could be close, right? I wouldn't pick Harry Miller over sixth year Thayer Munford right now, but close. And then Paris at left tackle. Listen, man, Nicholas Petit first, like an All-American. But could Paris Johnson in 2022 at left tackle be as good as Nicholas Petit Frere was at left tackle in 2021, Stephen? I mean, yeah, right? Uh, Isn't that possible? Yeah. Um, And there's also no Aiden Hutchinson on the schedule, so he won't have to worry about ending up flat on his back in a game like that. So, yeah. Yeah, just until just until the national title game when Will Anderson yeah, yeah, yeah. Will be waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> Will Anderson is a freak though. That's not fair. But listen, I mean, honestly, not to be dumb. Buckeye talk. Nathan. If we if you're taking this offensive line, these five starters and these five backups to the national championship game or to the semifinal against Bama and Will Anderson. Will Anderson is going to be like the number one pick in the draft. Will Anderson might be Lawrence Taylor. I mean, not to get hyperbolic, but like the way people, t- I mean, like Will Anderson that's is like, that's, that's, uh, it, that's, a, that's out there. But like, cause like Bill Belichick but, would not stand for you making Lawrence Taylor comparisons, but like Will Anderson, I mean, but like people even talk about like Will Anderson, like almost like the, the conversation feels like a half step above even like the Chase Young, Bosa well, brother, Ma- Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau conversation. Yeah, well, Michael Parsons did this year. Mo Anderson might make it look minuscule when he gets to the NFL. Yes, that's it. And he's going to do that in college next year. And he's, again, he's yeah. like, it. 
listed as an outside linebacker in their defense, but he's an edge rusher and he can do some other things in space. So, but Nathan, would you take your shot with that offensive line that it's like, Hey, who can block Will Anderson? But the answer might be like, well, the answer is either nobody or Maybe the answer is Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. That might be as good of an answer as anybody's going to have when you're talking about a tackle pairing. You might be right. Um, I mean, what choice will they have, though? I mean, what, <laughs> that, that's that's the, the only shot that they have, really. I mean, again, no, but they, I mean, but would you feel like sick to your stomach taking these tackles in against Will Anderson? And would you say, hey, man, we believe in our tackles. We're OK. Like, we'll do no, our I best. Think, I don't think you would feel sick to your stomach because, again, um, you know, this, this, uh, that last year's offensive line really didn't allow a lot of sacks. And I, I included those numbers in my, some of my predictions, but really that was a lot of offensive design in the way CJ Stroud plays too. It wasn't just pass protection. So I think this offense um, it, it's, I think you beat Will Anderson as much by scheme as you do by just manning up and blocking him. And, but I also think that this whole concept comes into how I looked at another position that we haven't talked about yet. Well, Josh Myers, Josh Myers basically said that he thinks Paris Johnson's going to win the Outland one day. I would be very into, I mean, I think it would be a very fun thing to watch the guy who was a number one defensive end in the 2020 recruiting class go against the guy who was a number one tackle in the 2020 recruiting class. Maybe, yeah, right right now, because of what Will Anderson got a chance to do his sophomore year, obviously it's, we're thinking, should Ohio State be worried about that? But we might actually get to that game a year from now and be like, this is going to be fun. Uh, is this too early to write Will Anderson versus Paris Johnson stories? It's no. January, January of 2022. In hey, Paris, <laughs> when you went to the opening in the summer of 2019 in Dallas, did you ever get a chance to match up against Will Anderson? And can you tell me about that? Uh, Paris, not to get ahead of yourself. You haven't technically won the left tackle spot yet, but how much Will Anderson film have you been watching? Yeah, no, not not crazy. And it's like, it's like the thing that we talk about that it's like, well, I don't know. Like that guy might, Will Anderson's probably gonna be the best player in college football next year. But given the available personnel, who would you want to take into battle against him? I think I'd take, I'd take these two guys as much as anybody. We're having a, this is a good offensive line conversation. I hope Landis is listening. The, the, Question, is it possible? Like, is, does it sound crazy to us? Or does it sound within the realm of possibility that a year from now, we will be talking about the idea that could Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones both be first round picks in the coming draft? Does that sound ludicrous or possible? I think that's possible. I would just, I mean, Paris Johnson Jr. did start this whole past season. I know it wasn't his natural position, but he didn't do for offensive linemen what Will Anderson did for defensive players. So let's keep that in mind. I think he comes into this year needing to show that that first year was a good foundation for him. And now how do you grow off of that as a left tackle? But I think it's on the table just because of his pedigree and the natural talent that he has. Cause we've seen it in flashes that there could be something special there. Yeah, I agree with that, but it's also like a little tougher to do that as a guard than it is when you're just on the aisle of that tackle. I mean, the, the, the way too early drafts, mock drafts are going to come out the moment that, 2022 NFL draft is over and I wouldn't be shocked if there's like some people out there who throw Paris in the first round just based off of like the reputation and then Dewan Jones is like in the 20s whether that actually how it plays out or not obviously it's a different conversation but I, I wouldn't be shocked if Paris was in the first round just based off the pedigree the way you know the reputation he had coming into school and the fact that you know 
he's going to actually play left tackle now. I just Paris Johnson's intelligence and athleticism, the idea of letting him get out in space on the edge and just do pass sets against yeah. these edge rushers and the battle of what moves are they going to use the hand fighting, the quickness, the reach, all those things that go into it. He's just been confined. You're just confined at guard. You're just, you're in a, you're in a shoebox instead of out in space. And so I just, I want Paris gone. I just want Paris Johnson to spread his wings and fly. Is that so wrong? And uh, you know, no one's going to block Will Anderson for 70 snaps, but I think that's important that you'd take your shot just almost like, and we, that's not fair. Either. It's like, oh, it's like the Ohio state receivers, take your shot against the Georgia defense. The Ohio state receivers are more established, but you'd take your shot. I think with these tackles, at least where we sit now. Okay. That is the offensive line. When we come back, we'll do running back quarterback, tight end receiver next on Buckeye talk. Doug, Nathan, Steven, 614-350-3315 the texts two week free trial. You send a, from your phone, you send a text to that number and you get back a link to sign up. And that's how you do it. Let's do receiver, Nathan. Because as we were talking about before, it's like we know Jackson Smith and Jigba is not is going to play, is going to be maybe the best receiver in college football. The, the centerpiece of this offense coming off an unbelievable sophomore season. But we do not know exactly 100% how they will use him. And so this is the one we were talking about you know, we know CJ Stroud's going to be the quarterback. We know Trayvon Henderson's going to be the running back. We know Jackson Smith and Jigma is going to be a receiver, but which receiver, Nathan? How did you figure this out, and who did you put with him in the starting lineup? So I think the Rose Bowl, well, really the whole season, but the Rose Bowl showed us that having Jackson Smith and Jigba in the slot is not a limitation of his talents. Even if Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave aren't on the field, you can line him up in the slot extensively and you're still going to be able to use him vertically. You're still going to be able to do a lot with him. So for this projection, I just left him there. And I had the starting receivers as Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think the question that lingers is not about what do they want to do with Jackson Smith and Jigba and whether they change. I think it's the same question that Jackson Smith and Jigba ended up answering last year at this time, which is, if he, if, and it's not him, it's Emeka Ibuka. Is Emeka Ibuka one of your three best receivers? And if so, where do you put him? And what sort of chain reaction does that cause? But for right now, I'm going to assume that that Julian Fleming and Marvin Harrison Jr. take those outside spots, and that Jackson Smith and Jigba starts in, well, I guess we will still call the slot, but is becoming less and less like a traditional Ohio State slot. Obviously, what do you think of that, Stephen? I like the starters for now. Um, I think Jackson is just going to stay in a slot. The more I think about it, um, obviously it's going to be interesting if when we get in there for a spring practice to see where he's actually lined up. But I just think he's going to stay in the slot. Um, he's beautiful in there. CJ Stroud loves to go over to the middle throw. So why not have your best receiver there? And really the it's, it's, I think what's going to be more telling is in situations where they don't have three receivers on the field, because that's going to tell you who your best, who they think the best two receivers are when they go 12 personnel, because 
in 2020, it, I mean, Garrett was in the slot, but it's not like when they didn't have a slot receiver on the field. Right. Jamison Williams and Chris Olave sit out there as the outside receivers. No, Jamison just came off the field. And then earlier in this season, it was Garrett and Chris out there. And then when they were not there in the Rose Bowl, whenever they went to receivers, it was just, I think it was Jackson. And then it was either Julian Fleming or Marvin Harrison, depending on what side Jackson Smith and Jigba was on. So that's going to be more telling of the hierarchy there. But I just think, Jackson is really good in the slot and there's no reason to move him around when you feel like the other options can get it done at ZNX. So we don't know. And there's no right answer. It's what it's what Ryan day wants to do. It's what Brian Hartline wants to do. And it's who shows out in the spring and starts to develop and starts to starts to show that, man, you got to play me. And we don't know whether that's going to be more Emeka Egbuka or more Julian Fleming or more Marvin Harrison Jr. Because Fleming is a year older than, than Harrison and Egbuka, but he's been limited by injury. He has not played a ton more than them. So you have three guys with great untapped potential, Nathan. And we to try to pretend that you know how that's going to go. And also, I think to assume that all three of the guys behind JSN, that their arcs, that their development arcs from now until the Notre Dame opener are all going to be on the same track, I also think is foolhardy because that never happens. Someone's going to twist their ankle. Right. Somebody is going to like get an opportunity and go bananas and have people being like, man, I think this guy might be better than Jackson Smith and Jigba, right? somebody's going to have a little bit of a slow start and and we just don't know Nathan. So that's the thing of it's all, I mean, this whole thing's a guess, but this is, I think this is a less educated guess on those three guys because I don't think anybody knows right now, do they? Correct. And, and following up on what I said before about Ibuka, maybe kind of forcing the question here. Um, let's not forget, I think he also has the versatility enough to play outside if necessary. So while we haven't talked yet about the rest of the depth chart, but I put Caleb Burton behind Marvin Harrison Jr. at the X. I put Jaden Ballard behind Julian Fleming at the Z. The correct answer there might be that there's a three-man rotation at those outside spots and Mecca yeah. Ibuka is involved in it. So that's the other thing to remember here too, that, that this might look a little bit different in usage than we've seen the last couple of years might be just a little bit more of a wrinkle of a rotation than really running hard with just three guys at the top. But that's something that both Egbuka, all three of those guys would have to prove themselves worthy of that. I was just going to say that I think all four of these guys are going to play regardless. The six, the six man rotation is dead in terms of like, they're not just going to play six guys for the sake of playing six guys. They're going to play the guys who should play in 2020. It was only two, two guys. Mostly last year it was three guys. I think all three should all four of these guys end up playing. And it maybe it's a situation just to throw this idea of maybe Jackson does move around and where he's at just depends on who the other two guys out there with him. If it's Julian and Emeka out there with him, maybe, you know, Emeka and, and Julian are the outside guys and, and Jackson's in the slot. But if it's like Marvin Harrison and, 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 and Emeka Buka, maybe they move Jackson outside and put Emeka in the slot. But like it, the, the idea of Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming and Emeka Buka are kind of in this rotation thing while Jackson just basically doesn't come off the field doesn't sound crazy. If you were Jackson Smith and Jigba, would you want to be in the slot mostly this year? Or would you ask to play more X and Z to get outside for your 
NFL draft status to show you can play outside receiver and inside receiver and be all over the field and make sure you don't get not pigeonholed, but that you get some outside receiver film. You know, if, if he was a, like, if he was built like KJ Hill and played like KJ Hill, I think it would be potentially of getting pigeonholed as that sort of a slot guy, a slot ceiling. I don't think he's going to have that issue no matter where he plays. I think he's shown enough on a football field in various capacities that he can do whatever you need him to do as a receiver at the next level. And as we've seen at the next level in the NFL, some of the most effective guys move inside out and, and, and get played with as far as, you know, trying to capitalize on matchups and things like that. And I, I imagine there's already NFL teams projecting that right now. Yeah. I think the answer is just where am I most dangerous at for this season? And it's kind of the same thing with Garrett. Garrett was most dangerous when it's him in a corner and there's nothing you can do about it because he's five foot 11, six foot, but he plays like he's six, four Jackson is most dangerous when he can sit in a soft spot of his own, or he ends up with a safety on him because he's in the slot. And then he breaks off the first tackle. And now he's gone for 20 yards. But don't you want to see Jackson Smith and Jigba outside against the team's number one corner doing what Garrett did? I mean, they put Clark Phillips on him in the slot. So it's, you know, it's not like he didn't get number one corner looks in the in the Rose Bowl. Um, yes, I, I would love to see him on the outside at X receiver on that island by himself. But, I, I mean, I think if a team is, is smart, they're going to try their best to get their best guy on him as much as possible. But if you're Jackson, you're, if, you're, if you're Jackson, not for best, you're, you're 100% cool with primarily lining up in the slot in 2022. Because, Nathan, you're saying guys move around in the NFL. It's like, yeah, guys move around in the NFL. Jackson Smith and Jigba has a whole season in the slot. He hasn't played as much outside receiver yet. Let him play outside receiver so that he can show to everybody in the NFL, you can move me all over the field. It's like Devontae Adams and, like, you know, whatever. I'll be everywhere. Because here's – and here's so there's a two-pronged thing while I'm, at, while I'm asking these questions. One is what's best for Jackson Smith and Jigba. The other thing is the thing we talked about a lot, which is Stephen is exactly right with his C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba connection. It's undeniable – You've been on it, Stephen. That's correct. But we've also talked about that the way this offense is designed, the slot gets open, right? That there is something I think about this, the way Ryan Day calls it, that the slot sort of as long as there is a some, some level of talent and route running acumen there, that guy's going to get opportunities. So sometimes it's like, well, do you want like your best receiver in the biggest opportunity spot? Or do you want like, well, Jackson Smith and Jigba could get open if you lined him up at left guard, line him up anywhere and then put the younger guy who's playing for the first time in the spot where the, the position itself and the routes that we run and the offense that we run is going to get you open. So let Ibuka go bonkers in the slot. Let Jackson Smith and Jigba be a terrible matchup for every defense, no matter where he lines up. And that's how we play it, which to me is sort of what happened this past season where Garrett Wilson can get open from anywhere. Now he's got inside and outside experience and Jackson Smith and Jigba set the slot on fire. So I, I, I think I could make an argument both sides for the player and the team that maybe JSN not in the slot is the better thing. But I think as Steven already said, there's an assumption that that's going to happen a fair amount of the time anyway, just based on personnel packages and things like that. I would love to see you ask that question. Oh no, I would love to see me ask it too. Yeah. I I mean, like that debate. (laughs) Oh my God. I mean like the the concept of that because no, I know I want to know. 
I'm because because it's Brian Harlan. I'm wondering if he would actually give you an answer, or he would just like shrug it off and go, "Well, we're just gonna play the best player." Because that is an interesting concept of like, where do you want the defense's attention to be at? Um, do you want it to be over there on that island so that the slot guy or the Z can can get open a little bit easier? Or do you want it in the slot because it opens up your outside wide receivers the way it did for Marvin Harris Jr. in the Rose Bowl? So, but like Nathan, you're saying like, well, it, as we've seen, they move all over the field. It kind of doesn't matter. He'll line up everywhere. But we still like our, I mean, there still is, a, isn't there a thing though? I mean, there is a, there's an X receiver, there's a Z receiver, there's a slot receiver. Like there, those, those are, exist as positions in this offense, right? So on one hand to be like, well, should he be in the slot or on the outside? Well, I put him in the slot, but it doesn't matter because he's going to play everywhere. It's like, well, you put him in the slot. Why not just put him outside and say the same thing? Like you have to, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying. I, I don't think it depends on Jackson Smith and Jigba though. I think it's going to depend on, do they think they have three receivers of that talent level? Or do they think they have four receivers of that talent level? Cause again, as Steven was saying before, if you're rotating those three guys Egbuka, Harrison and Fleming to some extent on the outsides, um, and then Egbuka also being able to play slot, I think that opens up where you can move Jackson Smith and Jigba. But if you think there's three guys who have separated, it does tighten that a little bit. Do you, the question. Do you, go ahead, Steve. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to ask you the question. You, you, ask, you say your thing first. Um, well, no, finish that conversation because I'm going to go off on a whole different. Well, I'm on a. T- Here's my question. Nathan, does this reflect the fact that your guess, all a guess, is that Egbuka is third among the three? receivers behind JSN that that if you were saying uh, uh, guessing right now based on how good I think they'll be as football players in 2022 my ranking would have a book a third and Fleming and Harrison ahead of him mm, no I think if I thought Egbuka was third for sure I would have just put him as the starting slot and moved Smith and Jigba outside on my no no he said no, no, third no, no. between of, of the Marvin three, Harrison and Julian oh, Fleming three yeah, yeah. Uh, um, um, third of those three. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Wow. But I'm introducing the concept that that may not be true. Why? Um, because of experience, because of the way they've talked about Julian Fleming um, as a uh, the way they've talked about him behind the scenes as far as what he's done in practice and things like that. You know, we never gotten to see what happens when health and opportunity coincide for him. But the, I, I'm the one who introduced that concept at the start of this uh, conversation simply because we've seen what a Mecca can do as far as just an explosive athlete. And I think there's going to be a place for him on the field in a real way in 2022. I think the question is in this offense, where does Ohio state's best receiver need to be? Because if that's the case, then maybe a Mecca is there. Cause maybe his skill set is best suited in the slot, but like you need your best receiver in the slot, which is why Jack Smith is is there, which is why Garrett Wilson was there in 2020, which is why KJ hit. I mean, where does this offense need its best, best weapon from these receiver group to be that will decide, I think who ends up starting. Well, I guess one of those things, again, do you, do you base it on the starter or do you base it on like, do you base it on the number one guy or do you base it on the number three, four guy? Is this, are you putting Jackson Smith and Jigba more in the slot or more outside based on what is best for Jackson Smith and Jigba and his best role in the offense? Or are you basing it on how the Fleming Harrison Egbuka thing works out and who shows out there and where those guys fit the best, knowing that JSN can go anywhere? Like that, that I think is an interesting thing. Do you, 
Mm-hmm. Do you let the top guy determine it or do you let the second, third, fourth guys determine it? And I don't know what the answer to that is, because as we said before, like if Jamison Williams would have stayed or if they just would have thought that Jamison Williams was ready for a big year and JSN wasn't, would you have kept Garrett in the slot and Olave and J- Jamison Williams would have been outside and Jackson Smith and Jigley just would have had to wait another year. But that's because that's about the secondary guys. That's not about Garrett. Even though I think Garrett wanted to go back outside by, by yeah. PFF this year, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and for whatever reason, they don't have the Rose Bowl stats in yet. I don't think. Why do they not? Yeah, they do. Why you have do? to. Um, right now, PFF is defaulting to like the All Star game okay. round. You have to go up and switch that yeah. to regular season plus postseason. Oh, oh, well, that was more. That was confusing for for Dougie. Okay. Jackson Smith and Jigba, according to PFF, snaps in the slot this year, 562, snaps outside 80. So he was a and how many of those came? In, how many of those came in the Nebraska game where Garrett didn't play, and then the Rose Bowl? Because I, I have the Rose Bowl one up right now. He had nine in the Rose Bowl where he was out wide. Says they have, they have, they have seventeen, and this says forty six in the slot in the Rose Bowl, seventeen okay. wide in the Rose Bowl. Um, okay. The Nebraska I game, I I can't. Is it uh, maybe what week was Nebraska? I can't tell. So so I'm just saying, like that's. As much as we say he can play anywhere, it doesn't matter that much. 562 to 80 is a big difference. So if he is, you know, 300 and 300, that's a big change. If he is 500 outside and 80 in the slot, that's a big change. So he can do anything, but he was a slot receiver this year. And he was, and he's coming back next year as the best receiver in college football. So, um, I don't know. I do think it feels like Fleming and Harrison as slot guys. That doesn't really seem like a thing. So your options in the slot are JSN and Igbuka, whereas Igbuka can probably play both. So I think all those things come into it. I don't, I think if I had done the depth chart, I probably would put JSN outside based on nothing, just like all of this is a guess. So like, but just based more on, my belief that the slot in this offense gets open because of the position. You can put a young guy in there. You want your most dangerous receivers outside. You force them to hang a safety over him. You you get one-on-one matchups. You know, it kind of is normal. I mean, like the, the big dudes line up outside and, and change things that way. And then you can, you know, be more of a threat down the field sometimes, whatever. Um, but I don't, I'm not saying that would be right. I'm just saying I, I, I probably would lean that that way if i was lining up three guys steven if you were making your top three how would you arrange this i would have kept it here how nathan put it um but in the name of when ohio state did used to have a depth chart i might put a mecca or at both outside spots okay let's let's have a, a julian fleming conversation briefly he is a year older than harrison and Ekbuka. He has been beset by injuries since the minute he got here. He does have 19 catches in two years. So again, that's a lot has to do with injury, but I I don't know, Nathan, Um, you know, he, 
the Rose Bowl came and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson weren't there. And Jackson Smith and Jigba played the greatest postseason receiver game that like anybody has ever seen. And Julian Fleming had five catches for 35 yards where with ample opportunity and Marvin Harrison Jr. Like kind of went off. Right. And like, I, I think it's okay to not question Julian Fleming, but just wonder a little bit that the two-year arc certainly hasn't necessarily gone as people expected in, even in a world where, Hey man, when you come in this receiver room, it's not going to pop right away. You got to wait 19 catches in two years, acknowledging the injuries, acknowledging that that is a very, very real thing for him. I, I might put him of like of the Agbuka Harrison Fleming thing. I might have him third on my list. And if I was doing a thing, I think, Maybe mine would have been Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigba on the outside and Agbuka in the slot and certainly not counting Julian Fleming out, but acknowledging that for a multitude of reasons, it hasn't popped yet. Well, he wasn't third when we saw this team most recently in the Rose Bowl, obviously, that, that you know he was starting over Agbuka there. That was kind of part of my thinking. Also, um, the 19 catches in two years, um, you know, besides the starters, nobody has a lot of catches the last two years until you're right. As far as what we saw in the Rose Bowl, Marvin Harrison Jr. kind of blowing up on in his own right. That was it, it's crazy to have a, like a three touchdown game in the Rose Bowl and be so overshadowed by one of your other receivers. But uh so that Marvin Harrison Jr. to me was a clear starter for next year. I think he clearly has is the one of the three. I mean, I would put him first out of the three that he's a guy that I think is just in ink needs to be in this offense a lot next year. Um, really great red zone target and is sort of proving himself in all, in all facets, being able to do a lot of things out there. So I think the question is, and it, it's definitely a fair one to ask, like is, is Julian Fleming going to sort of command that spot or um, this is a big prove it kind of off season for him. And some of that isn't his fault, as you say, with the injuries, but I would also say that when he has played, he has flashed at moments, but not as a receiver. Like he's flashed with like some smart hustle football plays, but hasn't really done a lot like making a catch that you remember, making a move that you remember. That sort of thing hasn't happened yet. They talk about it behind the scenes. They say they're seeing it. Um, I, I That kind of factored into the call that I made for this exercise, but I need to see it on the field before I believe it 100%. Uh, we're obviously going to probably do a driving the bus pod at some point this offseason because, I mean, we do it every year. Um, Julian's going to be one of the guys on my list, spoiler. Um, part of the reason why is we always have to provide the context of this guy was the number three player in his class, number one receiver, and he had no idea what he was doing in high school. He was just a better athlete than everybody else. And he was going to always have to come here and actually learn how to play wide receiver while Jackson Smith the Jigba grew up in Texas. That's where the disconnect has been there. And so maybe he actually might be on the right trajectory. It just might get thrown off a little bit because of some of the injuries. So it's that and the idea of, okay, I, I think he's going to, he is going to be a good, a good example of just how good of a developer Brian Hartline is, because this is a guy who has all the tools and no idea what to do with them. And Brian Hartline just spent the last three years showing them what to do with them. Now, how does he come out the other side? Now he's in year three and kind of money year for a five-star recruit. Also, they keep picking him. 
through all these injuries, when somebody's not available, they keep going to Julian Fleming first, no matter how much they talked about Marvin Harrison Jr. and how he flashed in the spring and how Emeka Buka was challenging Garrett Wilson and making him better. They always pick him to be like, kind of, he was clearly the fourth receiver in the room when Jamison Williams left. So those two things, when I take those things into account, it just seems like this is the time where he puts it all together. Now, I'm not saying that means he's going to go out here and be a thousand yard receiver this year, but he also might, who knows? I just, that's all on the table for him. So, Mecca Egbuka, according to PFF, before the Rose Bowl, he had played 66 snaps in the slot and 38 snaps out wide. And so most of Egbuka's receiver experience during the course of the year was like in blowouts when JSN came off the field and he came in instead of him. So then you get to the Rose Bowl where it's like, hey, here comes all this receiver opportunity, just not in the slot because the guy in the slot is going to have 350 yards receiving. And then Mecca Buka's like, but I play in the slot. And they're like, yeah, I know. That's really too bad for you. And they, they said, Do you, well, would you like to play outside some? And he said, well, I would like to play. So he played two snaps in the slot and 16 outside in the Rose Bowl. So he wound up with 68 snaps in the slot, 54 outside for the season. But my point here is like, if Julian Fleming and Marvin Harris, I mean, if they did, they played more in the Rose Bowl than Agmeka Buka, but the guys at their positions didn't play. And the guy at Agmeka Buka's position had the greatest receiving game in the history of since Princeton and Rutgers started kicking a football around like a soccer ball and deciding to call it a different sport. So like, I'm not going by that, but like, he's, he's a slot receiver right now. Yes, they played him outside, and he made a couple plays on the outside, but that's not what he was this year. So, like, I think there's room for, like, the, the thing where, well, like, Book is going to be the slot. We're moving JSN outside, and then we'll pick between Fleming and Harrison. I think, I think maybe that's why that's still sort of on the table to me. I don't dispute anything that anyone has said about Julian Fleming. We have things in our head, especially with Marvin Harrison Jr. Like you have things in your head right now, that guy doing stuff with catching the ball that I, I don't know that we've had the same level of Julian Fleming. We may have it with Egbuka too, in a way that we don't have it with Fleming. I mean, I, you can think of it at least one As catch. Turn specialist made. though. No, I mean, he had, made, he had the one big catch, too. He had in the, the sideline catch. Yeah. yeah. But that, yeah, but that's that was a, really a lot of that throw. was the throw that Stroud made, yeah. too. No, but you got to catch it. I, you're right. I just uh, There is – Marvin's clearly had flashy moments in multiple games because even at the end of the Indiana game, he's doing stuff where it's like, oh, he's 6'3". He's not supposed to be doing stuff. While Mameka mostly has a return specialist, and while Julian Fleming, a lot of his best plays have been blocking, especially in that Rose Bowl where he was springing Jackson free a lot of the time. I'll agree with that. But th- I do think there is a separation between what we've seen from Marvin Harrison Jr. flashing and the other two as receivers, not necessarily just as football players. And Urban Meyer loved blocking receivers. He'd play yes. guys because they could block all the time. I don't think that's where we are right now. Not that it's not important, but man, you better be able to catch it and do something with yes. it after you catch it. I think Julian Fleming's is Julian Fleming's like best catch so far as an Ohio State Buckeye. The catch that didn't count because he yes. like was bobbled it at the last second as he was going out of bounds. I'm not saying that's against him. It's like, you know, he almost had it there, but I don't have that. That is that. The moments and like even his freshman year when he got on the field because Olave missed 
the Big Ten Big championship, championship game, game against Northwestern, and the passing game kind of shut down. That wasn't a great. That wasn't great for Garrett, but also wasn't great for Julian. What Julian have that game, Stephen? Four for fifty-three yards. So a solid outing, but he's supposed to. He's he's fast, super fast, and he's supposed to be the deep threat. And we haven't gotten to see that yet. So. Four for 53 is a solid day, but not when you're supposed to be the Z receiver taking the top off of defense. And I do think that, yeah, I, I just, he's in line for the Marshawn Lattimore, two years of injury, all American as a junior kind of thing. That, that, that's the path that he would be on if it pops. But for me, acknowledging all the stuff and acknowledging that it absolutely could pop, I felt like the times when he has been on the field, I don't know that I thought to myself, that guy is going to have a thousand yard receiving season at Ohio state. That guy has got it for sure in a way that I think like we felt that with Marvin Harrison jr. Like the first time he played, everybody was like, Ooh. So I think my list would be Harrison Egbuka and Fleming third right now, based on virtually nothing. Based on virtually nothing, Buckeye talk. So, um, okay, let's talk about these. This second, t- so we're talking. We have these. This, this four guys we just discussed for a long time. One of them is becomes a second team receiver, and then we go to Caleb Burton and Jaden Ballard. I, just can we reset even the rot the room? So Caleb Burton is a true freshman. Jaden Ballard is an Ohio kid. It will be a second year player. Nathan, who else is even in the mix there that you considered for second team receiver? No, nobody. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I mean, Ballard was mostly because he's a second year guy. Well, it's not really a, a, I was just trying to decide who would be the ones who would potentially be the next guys up who don't really play next year. Um, Ballard is the natural choice being the oldest of this group. And then um, Burton, I kind of just slotted into the Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, the Jigba probably shows up ready to contribute as a freshman thing coming out of Texas. I just seemed like, a natural guest to kind of fall back on. Then you go into the, the Kojo Antwi, uh, Caleb Brown, Keon Gray's group. And maybe, but I, I just, I had to pick, you know, I had to separate by some way from that group. And it seemed like it's a safe bet to take the oldest guy and the Texas guy. Caleb Brown's not playing this year. He's not even an early enrollee and he's also right. a slot guy. And there's, I right. mean, we're talking about Emeka Jackson. Well, he's got a wait behind Emeka too. So that's just not happening this year, which is why he's part of why he's early in the world. He also goes to a Catholic school. Um, Kojo is interesting because I don't really know what his, what separates him yet. I'm still trying to figure that out. I think we should all keep an eye on Keon Grace. I think um, you're right. Caleb Burton fits the Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Garrett Wilson. I grew up in Texas playing football. I might be explosive type of guy. I think Keon might be like Marvin Harrison, like where it's like, we're not really thinking about it. And then we go to practice and we talk to some wide receivers and they go, Oh, Keon's he's yeah. The Chris Olave thing might be real here with that one in the sense that like, he's really smooth. He's really fast. And he's a take the top off of defense. And I was like watching in film. And then obviously watched him in the army all American bowl. And he, some of his routes were pretty crisp for a guy who's from Arizona, but yeah, that's a guy I think everybody should be keeping an eye on as Freshman MVP of the spring, even if it doesn't turn into anything until 2023. This group better than last year's receivers. Same, not as good. Steven, what would you say? Oh, not as good. There's no, 
I'm it's no guarantee with this group somebody plays in year one, even like forces themselves into a role, even if it's like special teams. There's not that in this group. I think this is a solid group, but I think this is a group where it's the byproduct of you just spent the last two years having a bunch of five stars come through here. So you got some quality top 100 guys, but I think a lot of these guys are a year away from being real contributors still. And burdens more because he's still coming off a knee injury and not completely there yet. So I do think it's possible that when we look back that the 2021 receiver production slash receiver rooms, receiver talent is like the peak of this and that they're trying to stay at that peak. But I, I don't need, what would it look like? We, we've already think discussed this. How would it be better? How would it be better I than think, last year? With I think you can, you I think you can bank on an a thousand yard receiver per year, and then another guy flirting with it, and then the other, the third guy's probably got seven hundred just because they're going like to throw the ball statistically. But beyond statistically, oh, just like, like ability. No, it's um, like when we say, "Is this receiver room as good?" Or, how could you end up with a receiver group that's better than Olave Wilson and Smith and Jigba? Like, I just, I think just like we said with Chase Young, it's like, they're sort of like yeah. ascending at defensive end. It's like, and that's it. And now that's the thing you try to match. And maybe it comes down a little bit that it's not that guys are bad. It's that, well, you're not going to be that. So Nathan, like, I don't like my thing would be, okay, not as good just because I don't know what could be better and they should be striving to be as good. And maybe, Maybe by the playoff, we'd be like, man, believe it or not, they're like as good. But I just think maybe Olave, Wilson, Smith, and Jigba is the peak of Ohio State receiverdom in a way that we just will be, it'll be hard for anyone to match. Yeah, I, I think you have to say not as good, but it's like because last year was an A plus, and you might have to settle for just a solid A this year. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to hold out a little room that we might think differently next year, but for the, I agree with you, though, for the most part. But like, what would that even look like? Four instead of three of them. But you're not going to have four on the field. No, but if you've got. We think CJ is going to throw it around next year, right? We're all in agreement with that. So if you've got four guys north of 500 yards receiving. I don't care about the stats, but that's that's not that's not talking about stats. Like we think we might look at the receivers and think, yeah, I take this group ahead of. If I'm going to put guys on the field, I'm putting guys on the field to try to win mm-hmm. the national championship. I'd take the guys that would be on the field in 2022 ahead of Olave, Wilson, and Smith and Jigba. You think that's possible? Yeah, I think this is the only year where it's possible just because if you started ranking these guys and what their ceiling was, the guys who were in the room this past year, um, I mean, I think we've had this discussion previously. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba and Mecca Buka and Marvison, Marvin, Marvison, Marvin Harrison Jr. might be the top three just based off what we think their ceiling might be. And they're still in the room and Jackson's a year older. I'll tell you what, man, you are fickle. That Garrett Wilson love left town. I love Garrett. No, listen, I love Garrett Wilson so much. I will always love you, Garrett Wilson, because you made all this possible. But that doesn't mean that, you know. It's going to be the best. Ver- I, I'm saying that if there is a room that is going to at be at least be as good as the 2021 room, I think it's this quartet. Okay. Do you think there's a chance we get to the end of this season and we're arguing about who the best receiver on the team really is? <sighs> that to me, because that's the epitome of why the 2021 group was so good, and I don't think the 2022 group can replicate that. You don't? I mean, I think we could have said the same thing a year ago. About the idea of like, no, there was question. There was question going into last year, whether Olave or Wilson was better. There was whether Olave or Wilson, but like 
Jackson Smith and Jigba was not in that discussion at all. You're proving my point that then that's why, because the third guy, the third guy was so good that he had like the greatest receiving season in big 10 history. So is somebody going to do that? The third guy on this team, is he going to just absolutely blow the doors off the place this year? I think that's where I push back a little bit. And that's where I think like the A plus A thing is going to have to be maybe good enough for this group. Because I do think I'll leave wiggle room. I mean, I do think like in the end, I think Garrett's stats could have even been, could have been better than they were. Because when you did throw to Garrett, like Garrett just did stuff. I was like, well, that's not normal. Yeah. Right. And that, that Olave is a certified deep threat and that it's not just what it's just not what CJ does as much as what Justin did. So Olave in maybe in some ways wasn't used as much, but like, if you're asking like, who do you want to run a route, be fast, play the ball in the air, use leverage and get up and make a play. It's like, I'll oh, yeah, yeah, give me Chris Olave. Right. And so it's just like to, to like who they are, like who they are at their max. Like, it's weird. I, I I would argue that like Chris Olave, this was not Chris Olave's best year. I don't think, right. But yeah. why was that? Did he get worse? It's like, no, it was like the style of quarterback, what they called and the other guys in the room got so good that they didn't throw to him as much. And I would argue that it wasn't Garrett's best year. It's like, why, why, why wasn't it Garrett's best year? Well, cause the year before Garrett was playing the slot and exploding and being in the, the position where like, this offense is sort of designed to run around and then like they didn't quite throw it to him as often, maybe sometimes. And then Jackson Smith and Jigba went crazy. So I just like Olave and Wilson in the end, I think you could argue had lesser statistical years than we would have predicted. And it's not because they weren't good. It's because the other guy went crazy and is so good. And that's your room. So that's kind of my point. That's all I'm I saying just, is, no, I agree. I understand. I understand what you guys are saying. I'm just making sure we're understanding that we're talking about a situation where Jackson's probably the best wide receiver in the country. Other, I, I think. Other, I mean, the other guy, Pitts guy, might be in the conversation there. But uh, yeah, Mecca Buka was the number one receiver in his recruiting class. Julian Fleming is the number one receiver in his recruiting class. And Marvin Harrison Jr. is the son of a Hall of Famer. And basically, they didn't have a chance to do anything. And Marvin Harrison Jr., who's probably the second best guy right now, the first time he really got a chance to do something, he had three touchdown catches in the game. So I'm just... I understand and I agree. I'm just going to leave the door open because if there's a room that can do it, it'll be that room with these four. Yeah. Okay. We'll crack it. We'll crack it. I, th- I think it's okay to crack it. Fuck. I yeah. So, um, but the, but the standard is like really high, but again, it's like statistically only takes you so far and we're okay. Having it sometimes when we're talking about, teams that we don't cover every second of every day, then it's like, you have to lean on stats a little bit. We know enough about these guys to say, well, the stats matter, but let's also just talk about who they yeah, are. So. You, you're calling that room chase young last year, or it might be Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa and chase Young are coming down the line. That's maybe a good way to put it. When, and I guess if you think about like, well, we're, we're, we have the back-to-back number one receiver recruits at recruits added to what people are saying is the best receiver in college football. So maybe there mm-hmm. is, that's the crack you're leading open. All right, let's do tight ends. Who's the starting tight end, Nathan? So this is one where I went a little bit off of where I maybe assumed I would be going into this. I'm picking Joe Royer here. And I know that he doesn't have the experience of Mitch Rossi who's coming back for his sixth season, but has never really been 
in the at the top of the tight end rotation. And he doesn't have the receiver upside that G Scott has. What he does have is, and what really nobody else has um, as far as the experienced guys on this team is the Ohio state tight end body. He's six, five, two forty five, And I think that's the most important thing when you're picking an Ohio state tight end. So I don't expect him to come in and do flashy things as a receiver, but we should never expect that of Ohio state tight ends. If I'm picking the guy who I think makes the most sense and, and fits the lineup the best, it's going to be third-year Joe Royer. So you believe Cade Stover is now a full-time linebacker? Correct. I agree with that. You think you guys think that's 100%? That's how everyone was talking about it, kind of going into and especially coming out of the Rose Bowl. I think if they're going to have a conversation with him and give him the choice, and I think he's going to choose linebacker. He likes to hit people, and he didn't get a chance to do that enough last year. I think that's the important part of it, that Kevin Wilson, at least what he said to us was enough of this, like what's best for the team. It's going to be what's best for Cade Stover. And Cade Stover sure sounded like a guy who couldn't wait to play linebacker again after the Rose Bowl. Okay. Who's your backup tight end? Then I think it's some combination of Rossi, G. Scott. Uh, you got Sam Hart, who'll be a second-year guy. You got Bennett Christian, early enrolling, coming in as a true freshman who has sort of that prototypical Ohio State tight end body so we'll see how quickly he can get up to speed but I don't really know how they'll approach that and I I guess it's also the position where I still think they should be trying to do something in the portal yes that makes sense what do you think of this collection here Stephen? I wouldn't have been mad if Nathan just put a starter portal honestly (laughs) yeah (laughs) I wouldn't have been upset with you and, and if I had done this at like the day after the season ended, that might've been what I did, but they've yeah. already missed out on a couple of, I hate saying missed out, like guys chose to go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know who is really out there in the portal that would necessarily be better than Joe Rory. I mean, you can't, just any three-star guy or whatever that's floating around in the portal, as we've talked about with other positions, isn't necessarily better than the standard, the, the guys Ohio State already has on its team. So if somebody pops loose in the spring, if somebody pops loose between now and then, you know, summer, the way more like, you know, Trey Sermon was a little bit later, you know, we've seen it happen before. Noah Ruggles was July or whatever it seemed like before he finally <laughs> uh, signed. Um, maybe that could still happen, but based on what we know now, I, my assumption is that Royer would be the guy. Yeah. I get why you pick Royer though. He's year three. He, I mean, he, if you, I mean, we saw seen him in person, he looks part, he looks like he's ready to play football here, but yeah. Now, having said all that, I believe Joe Royer played, uh, zero snaps in the Rose Bowl or like not much. Let me go back and check. He didn't play a lot of snaps at all last year. I can't remember how much they did 12 personnel, though, because I think they just, like, stuck with Rossi the entire yeah. time. And Rucker. And Rucker played. Yeah, Rucker. wow. Right, right, right. Listen, Sorry, is, Jeremy. We, I mean, this is <laughs> Mitch Rossi. Uh, I mean, it's He's a fine. fullback. He played 143 offensive snaps last year. Yeah. He plays, like, 12 snaps a game. Like, it's, it's, right. it's not but, an answer. But Joe Royer played, like, 30 snaps is what we're saying. Like, no, I, mean, I know. But I mean, like this, it's again, sometimes this stuff is like Joe, Mitch Rossi's coming back for a sixth year and people are like, well, that's it. Lock up the national championship. Mitch Rossi is back. What are we talking about? That. Goal line. He's I mean, got a niche in this offense. I think it's a, it's a interesting niche that, to have, but that's all the that niche I was 
The niche was they didn't have a Luke Farrell because Cade Stover wasn't ready to be it, so they just played him. So is this a problem? Oh, it's clearly the weakest position on the team. I don't know how you couldn't argue that. And maybe, you know, if, if people saying that um, puts a chip on their shoulders, so be it. But I don't know how they wouldn't possibly argue it right now. Like, how, what, what defense would they have to someone saying that? This is a group that has to grow considerably between now and August. It's the weakest position on the team, but I don't know if it's a problem. Because the question is, hey, Joe Royer, can you block? And if he can block, not fine. And it doesn't keep this offense from doing what it wants to do, then it's not really a problem. It's just, it's the weakest. I, we've said this. If tight ends the weakest position on the team, we're cool with it. This is, this is a group, though. Uh, I think the 12 personnel snaps next year are like seven the whole year. How would you, why? I mean, other than like goal line situations, you're right. going to play 12 personnel. Four wide receivers, four I, wide receivers, four wide receivers. <laughs> yeah, you're right, though. They like to run the ball. I mean, it's. I know. This would be so, a cool year to do it, though. You got two slots. I mean, that the personnel would fit it. Like, if you were ever going to integrate it as an actual part of your offense, and that, especially when you go empty, you know, that it's like you say the heck with like trying to get a matchup and whatever. When we go empty, we're just going to have four receivers and Travion out wide. And we're just going to run the four receivers on the field. We're going to take the tight end off the field. We're going to let them match that up. We don't care. We're not trying to be versatile with our formations, with the same personnel groupings. We're going to change the personnel groupings and get the best 11 guys on the field for that snap. Stop us. Guess what? We're throwing. Great. You figured it out. We're throwing this snap. Agbuka and Smith and Jigba and Harrison and Fleming are all out there together. Congratulations. You got an extra DB in the game. Good luck. If ever, right, Steven? If you're ever going to do it, if you're ever going to do it. Make make these Big Ten teams play dime. I'm for it. They go empty. I mean, they go empty. However many snaps a year they go. And they they never do it with four receivers on the field, they do it splitting out there and then you go empty and then put them in a dime and then motion Travion back in and tell your five guys up front to block it up and then run it fine. I don't know. Like hold your breath. I hope Steven doesn't pass out holding his breath all year for it to happen. But from a personnel my favorite day in the press box, oh my God, Steven will throw. Yeah. A man yeah. has been seen flinging himself from the Ohio stadium press box <laughs> in excitement. If ever the personnel would match it, but we're talking about like, oh, well, what if you have no tight ends on the field? Nathan, I mean, they can't, how can you put two tight ends on the field for anything other than short yardage at this point? I mean, it just, there's, they don't have the guys to do it. No, but they like playing 12 personnel. So that's, again, it it comes back to, does that create more urgency to find something in the portal? A guy who you could trust as that second guy, you know, Kevin Wilson, when he was talking about this group at the Rose bowl, says good things about people like G Scott, but it seems to come with the caveat that like physically like he's strong, but he still needs to grow. He still needs to put on more size to capably do what they need him to do as a tight end. Now he's saying that in December, does he change enough by August that you start to trust him more as a second tight end or more? Maybe, but that still remains to be seen based on what we know today and the projections we can make today. Um, he still seems like he's 
literally growing into that position, I wouldn't be ready to like stake my uh, season on whether or not he's going to be the the starter. Well, what is our level of belief of like the chances that it hits though? And that G Scott next year is like, Oh yeah, it worked. He took a year to grow into it. And then in the second year, like he's ready to roll. And this guy was a top 100 recruit. And here we go, Steven. Like, is that something that there's at least a roll of the dice that it might happen? It makes the 22 targets he would get as a starting tight end on the season. Interesting because that's a little bit more of a mismatch when you've got a guy who's basically got spent his entire life as a receiver and you turned him into a tight end. It makes that interesting. And it maybe adds, let's just say he has 17 catches, maybe 10 of them are highlight plays, which is cool, but I don't, it, it doesn't unlock some new weapon that Ohio State is all of a sudden going to start, you know, abusing defenses with. It just means that you've got a wide receiver playing tight end, which is pretty much what they've had anyway, because record had never taken a tight end snap before he got to co- college anyway. So it's interesting, but it's, it's just a, it's an interesting wrinkle, especially in the red zone. But other than that, it's just, he's going to get out there and he's going to block. I mean, it just makes him, it, it puts him in the usual Ohio State tight end trajectory, which is, man, this guy could be really interesting once he gets to the NFL. But mm. like, as far as what he actually accomplishes at Ohio State, it may not always, ever really come together because he does has to have enough physical growth to do. I mean, the punishment that you that it you have to exert to 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 block that much is so different than what you're used to at receiver. It's just. With that being said. They ran a screen pass for Mitch Rossi this past year that was clearly supposed to be for Jeremy Rucker when he was in the game. G. Scott would be able to do a little bit more than that with it than, you know, get tackled seven yards behind the line of scrimmage. But, yeah, nothing. There. So what is the percent chance that either of you, both of you, will put on them adding a tight end in the portal between now and Notre Dame? Nathan, what would you put the percent at? I mean, 52%. Okay. Steven. Yeah. 45 more. Cause it's not options than it is because they just don't want to do it. Cause it's one of those things. Like if they decide we have to do it, they can do it. Like there's a person who would t- come there's, there's a tight end out there in the portal who would be like, Oh my, are you serious? Like would show up. So if they just feel like we've got it, it doesn't, we'll add the best one that we can, but we have to add one. So you got that the, to me, if you're both like a coin flip, then you're not at that point where it's like, well, they've got to add one, no matter what. But, but again, who are they adding? Like, if, if you're the starting tight end at, I suppose if you're bumping someone up a level, right? But, like, the starting tight end at Minnesota or whoever isn't going to come to Ohio State and probably lower their draft stock no, to I come know, here but, and not get thrown the ball. I mean, but there, there are – I don't know who they are. There are tight ends in the portal right now that would, again, season Ohio State off for the minute it was given. If they just decide we need someone who's played tight end before. I mean, all these got the three guys on the depth chart are like a guy who's never played a converted receiver and a walk-on. So there's, yeah. there's a very, there's a decent possibility. There's going to be somebody in the portal. Maybe it won't happen until after spring football who has more division one tight end experience than any of these guys. Yeah. My, my point being that like for, for fans out there, don't be thinking that like Gronk or Travis Kelsey or, George Kittle in the portal is going to come here. It's probably going to be somebody who was a Luke Farrell somewhere else. That's what Ohio State kind of oh my really God. needs. A Luke Farrell somewhere else? If they get exactly a Luke Farrell somewhere else, they're going to have a parade. But but my question is, neither of you are saying, oh, it's 85% because they've got to get somebody. They'll just take the best guy they can get. Whoever it is in May, 
they'll go in the portal in May and offer the best guy in there. And they'll keep offering until somebody takes it. Like not those percentages aren't that because they're re- mm-hmm. you're saying, well, if there's somebody good, they'll take him. But if there's not somebody good, they'll roll with the guys they have. So, yes, I, I might be at. at like, you got to add somebody. Like, I don't care who it is. It might be an Ashland tight end. You've got to add somebody because like you just need reinforcements. Not that that guy would be better than these guys, but you've just got to add, you've got to add reinforcements. And I don't remember how many tight ends do they have right now, Nathan? So it's Royer, Rossi, Scott, and Sam Hart. Are those the only tight ends on the and roster? And Bennett Christian coming in. Yeah. And Bennett Christian coming in. That's five. I don't remember what Ryan Day was, when I, it's five, I, mean, that's the, I believe is what he said they wanted. Yeah. So that's a, I mean, the room is deep. It's just not deep with, you know, no commodities. All the chairs are taken up. They have five chairs in the room and there are going to be five butts in those five chairs. So, but like if Mitch Rossi didn't come back, then they would have, would they've had to go get somebody no matter what. And I think they have enough wiggle room on the scholarships that they could just say, we're just going to got to go get somebody no matter what. So, okay. It's not good. I don't know if, I mean, Kevin Wilson's the tight ends coach. He's not, I mean, he's the offense. He helps Ryan Day design the offense. I get it. And then 23% of the time he's a tight ends coach. I don't know like what's happened. If the tight ends are just like, what are you talking about? We saw what you did to Jeremy Ruckert. We're not coming. And that that's all it is. We Or if like Kevin Wilson is, isn't just like, isn't getting it done or it's just the way this offense is. And that if you're somebody in the Midwest, why, you know, whatever, they're not going to, New Mexico or Washington or Florida to get a tight end at this point. And if you're in the Midwest, it's like, I can go to Wisconsin or Minnesota or Iowa or anybody else that might actually use me. I'm thank you, but no, thank you. I'm not coming there. So you think that's what it is, Steven, that just as much as this offense is enticing quarterbacks and receivers, it is unenticing tight end prospects. Yeah. Well, Ty Lockwood being 124 in their 2023 recruiting class is impressive. And that's uh, you applaud Ohio State for getting that level of a tight end in a recruiting class because I'm pretty sure that's exactly what's happening. If you're a top 100 recruiter as a tight end, there is no reason for you to come here to block when I can go somewhere else and get the ball. I mean, there have been some four-star tight ends in the portal so far this year, but a lot of them have been like Southern guys staying in the South, like moving from one Southern school to another. So uh, just nothing that um, has come to fruition for Ohio State. All right, that's it for tight ends. And we think it will be worse, better, the same than last year. Oh, worse. Which is basically just taking record out. It's worse. Worse. Yeah, it's worse. And it's potentially not good if a guy or two doesn't pop. And maybe they will. All right, we'll take a break, come back and do quarterback and running back next on Buckeye Talk. All right, let's start with running back. Trevion Henderson, obviously, is the starter. Who would you have as the second guy in the depth chart, Nathan? Mayan Williams. No doubt about it. Like, is that, I mean, I'm not arguing it, but like, what was your thought process? Any, just like, nope, it's him. He actually averaged more yards per carry than Trevion Henderson did this past season, which was a surprise to me actually when I looked at the stats. I think he's proven himself to be a, a capable backup running back. I don't think having him as your backup running back is a catastrophe by any means. Um, and, and he did positive things for this team this past season. Uh, I think there is an opportunity there for a second year Evan Pryor, um, especially to overtake him. But obviously, 
Mayan Williams has done things that has uh, garnered the support of this coaching staff. I think the one thing that could, I guess, hang out there is if Mayan Williams sees an opportunity to go be a starter somewhere else, as opposed to what he is obviously going to be stuck with here, which is clearly being a backup for the foreseeable future, the rest of his career. He'll be back up the rest of his career. Steven, what do you think of this group? I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I think there's a chance that Evan Pryor might end up being the backup running back by the time we get to fall camp, but sure, that's fine. Trevion Henderson's a starter. Mayan Williams is the backup. And, or we just might be in a world where we were in this year where Trevion Henderson's a starter literally from day one this time instead of having to wait three weeks. And then who just ever practices better is going to be his backup, whether it's Mayan Williams or it's Evan Pryor or it's what if maybe Marcus Crowley gets healthy by the time we get to fall camp and he enters that mix. So we've, we had somewhat extensive conversations during the portion of the season about Trevion Henderson usage. And I do think Ohio state arrived at it. And I think we agreed with it. The idea that like Trevion Henderson, probably it, maybe it was just a freshman thing, but I don't think that it was that. I don't know if you definitely want Trevion Henderson lined up as you're starting running back, like every snap. I don't, I think there's a possibility that this number two running back has a role beyond garbage time. And when the guy's hurt, and there are some positions on the field where as much as they move guys in and out, and there's some situational stuff, you know, like the backup left tackle probably is not going to play a snap unless it's a blowout or Paris Johnson needs to tie a shoe. Nathan, when we think about the number two running back, do we need to call it the number two running back? That it's more than a backup. It's that, hey, you're going to play the fourth series against Notre Dame because we want Travion to be a threat when he's on the field but we don't want to hand it to him 32 times. So if we want to run it 35 times in this game and CJ's not going to run it that much, we need somebody who's going to carry it eight times because we don't, we don't want Travion running it 35 times. Is that how we think about this role? And if we do, does that change at all how we think about who should be in the role? I think you definitely have to call it the number two and especially in a world where fairly or not, the one thing that Trevin Henderson probably has to show a little bit more of as a sophomore is durability. And I say that knowing that it wasn't his call to come out of a lot of those games. It's not like he's asking out and a lot of times he bounced right back and went back in or could have gone back in if they weren't up, you know, 49 to nothing at halftime against Michigan state or whatever. But there was just a lot of him um, having to come out of games, it seemed like, last year. And some of that may have been just you're a freshman, you didn't play at all, you're senior or high school. There's still a little bit of a physical gap that he needs to still close. And I'm curious how he looks at the end of this offseason uh, going into fall camp this next fall. But yes, uh, regardless of that, they seem committed to using that second back in some capacity throughout the game. If that's the case, is Mayan Williams the best man for the job, or is there a world where Evan Pryor could be the better man for that job, Stephen? Uh, I think right now, as we sit, Mayan Williams might just be physically more prepared for that job. Ask me again after we've seen some of these guys through spring practice, I might think differently. But just right now, I mean, Mayan Williams has been in this program for three years now. Now, so he just might be a little bit better, a little bit more physically capable to do that. But also, they did not run a lot of plays last year. Because <laughs> I'm I'm trying to compare this a little bit to 
2018, not where it's series by series, but the idea of like, it's, it's two guys who are just getting a lion's share of the carries. JK had 230. Mike Weber had 172 that season. Travion had 184. Now this is obviously in one less game because they played 14 that year. Um, Travion had 184. Mayan had 71. So they just did not, but because it, it, even the passing CJ 441 passing attempts to Dwayne Haskins, 533, they just didn't run a lot of plays this year. And so the combination of that, but then also looking at the schedule and thinking, okay, how many of these games do we have to run Travion 20 times in? And there's probably three or four of them. And that's going to probably be the case this year. Some of this might just get figured out by, they just might have more plays this year and have a lot be on the office might just be on the field more often. And so we do get into a world where maybe Travion's at 210, while Mayan's at 130, 135. Oh, no, I would think I would think that's too much. For who, Mayan or Travion? Mayan, Mayan. I think okay. that break, that, that, I, if, to me, to me, if the ideal thing is like, and I think we do need to probably, Travion, do touches instead of carries because he is involved. They like, they've come around on the screen game enough and he is dangerous enough in that, that that is a, somewhat significant part of what he does for this offense. But even with that, Travion 27 catches and JK had 26 in 2018. So it's kind of, you know, the same concept, but yeah. yes, he's a lot more dangerous than JK was in the passing game. But, but the idea that like, like 200 to 140, that's, that's way too close to me. I, I'm thinking okay. more again, like an average, if Travion has 22 touches in a game and the number two guy has eight. So, um, you know, that's like three times as many. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's more what fits to me. I'm thinking more like 250 to 80 for the course of the season, maybe. But I am interested in Evan Pryor. I'm interested in Evan Pryor here. I am not as interested in like the second running back has to have a different style, has to be more physical than Trayvon or whatever. It's like I'm happy with the guy being the same. But that's fine because I mean, you're just going to play. I don't think it's situational. I don't think it's a goal line back. I don't think it's a short yardage back. I just think it's the number two back who then comes in and does the same things that Trevon Henderson does for you. And Mayan Williams, to your point, Nathan, did average a lot more yards per carry than Trevion did. I think he is what he is. I'm, I am curious about somebody um, who maybe has a little more whatever little more upside and Evan Pryor was recruited as that guy. Evan Pryor was sold on this. Hey, we're going to use two backs. We're not going to run anybody into the ground. We're going to have this rotation. Um, And now it's year two. And if I was Evan Pryor, I'd be like, okay, now I'm here for the thing that you told me about. Why am I being blocked by this guy who's solid, but like, give me a shot here. So I'm not saying that Evan Pryor should be ahead of Mayan Williams on the depth chart right now, Nathan, but I'm very curious to see, as Steven said, is it Evan Pryor by the time we get to Notre Dame? And I think it should at least be under, I think that possibility should at least be considered by the staff. Oh, I think there's absolutely a competition there going into the spring. And I think if Marcus Crowley wasn't hurt and, and probably won't be much of a participant this spring, if at all, he'd probably be in that conversation too, to, to at least see what's there. And if, if he can fight for some of those spots, um, Dallin uh, Hayden still probably, I don't know if, if he can, jump right in there. He's not even here yet. Right. He won't be here until the, the summer. So it, I think it's really just those two. I think it's just Williams and Pryor. And I think it's interesting competition for the spring. You know, it, as, as you're projecting these things, it's sometimes difficult to take a guy who has performed well in a regular role. And then we really didn't see much of Pryor at all this season. So that's a, it's a tough like call to make in the moment, but I'm, I'm certainly open to that being the outcome. But I do think it's possible that Mayan Williams is like a 
pretty darn good number two running back in the Big Ten, Stephen. Is it is it very possible that he's not dynamic enough to be your number one guy, but if this is the guy that you go to for a breather for the other guy, you can run your offense, hand him the ball, and he can do his thing, and that will that will work. Would you have any question about Mayan Williams in that role this in 2022? No, especially because I do think there's some similarities between him and Travion, which is more of the same thing. Just one's now fresher going against more tired defense. I'm he's a backup running back. Uh, he's a backup running back. He's, he's a backup running back with a higher ceiling than master Teague was as a backup running back. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually not sure that he's only a backup running back throughout most of the rest of the big 10, but I think he needs to be a backup running back for Ohio state. Well, that, but that's if, the con- I mean, like nothing in the big 10 is like Ohio state. He's not good enough to be the starting running back. I'm just Ohio saying state, you said, yeah. you said number two running back in the big 10, and that's just the, the clarification I'm making there. I think would he be the best running back at like Rutgers or Maryland or something like that right now? Uh, maybe. Oh, uh, yeah, but like also places he wouldn't be like not at Iowa. Like like if you look at last year, right? I mean, he's I think you also would find backs where. Well, the Minnesota back was pretty darn good, right? Ibrahim uh, was pretty darn good. And yeah, Tyler Michigan, Iowa was pretty darn good. Yeah. And Michigan yeah, and Michigan, Michigan, Kenneth Michigan Walker State. was pretty. This is actually yeah. a position where there are places in the Big Ten. Like there are some schools that have some have some yeah. guys. This is a place where. um you know, even guys that maybe the average Ohio State fan or the average Ohio State podcaster is not particularly familiar with might be better than this level of guy, which, again, is why it was it's like the idea that he would that he was like he the number, from Iowa State. It's he not was like a he starter against Oregon. School. He was a starter against Oregon is like, that's not, not it, man. Like that was or that he was a starter against Minnesota, the two guy against Oregon or whatever, that he was a primary part of the offense in the first two games of the season last year is like Ohio State will be ahead of the pack. We'll be ahead in the running game this year, Nathan, because that's not going to happen. So if we think about is this room better, worse, or the same, I would say better because Trevion Henderson is going to be the starter from day one, and they're not going to muck around with like, well, let's see what Master Teague and Myers. Those guys are backups. Good. Roll with Trevion. I think it's better. Do you agree with that, Nathan? Yes. Steven, better the same or not as good? Yes. Trevion Henderson's a year older, so yes. All right. Quarterback. CJ one, who's two, Nathan? I'm putting Kyle McCord here until he tells us otherwise. The <laughs> more that I look at it, I think that whatever frustrations there would be as far as backing up for a second full season, the payoff of being Ohio State's starting quarterback in year three would be the better reward of probably anything out there that he could pursue. So I think that that might eventually entice him to stick this out. Steven, what do you think? I think there's somebody in that building who might be trying to sell him on the Dwayne Haskins plan of come, even if you, you're a starter for only one year, but you're that good that you're a first round draft pick. I mean, I would actually sell him on the come here and still start for two years plan, but sure. Eh, that's no, if that kid gets on the field in 2023 and he does anything close to what CJ has done the last two years. I'm pretty, I would assume he'd probably be gone after a year. Maybe I'm even if they would love not, for it. There's not a great track record of guys doing that and then succeeding in the NFL. No. You think Kyle, does Kyle, did Kyle show up thinking he was on a three-year plan, Steven? Of course not. No, he came here 
thinking that he was going to compete for the job and be no, a starter. No, no, no. For three but years. did he think I, I'm going to come here and be in college for three years and be done? Yeah, five star quarterback. Yes, for sure. Okay. So I do think the fact that, I mean, we've talked a lot about Kyle McCord's future and Jack Miller and Quinn Ewers are gone, Nathan. And that certainly influences how you talk about Kyle McCord's future because Devin Brown is here, but certainly right now, if CJ, like if, and even that's not, we're not going to make this podcast is already more than two hours long. I do appreciate the people who are like, oh no, you only did a 40 minute podcast. What happened? I thought maybe people were like, oh my God, you guys did a 35 minute podcast at last. We had a couple like in the last month that were like a normal length podcast, but um, just I wait till we were, do a defensive one. Yeah. I think, I think people were uh, for the people who were missing the two hour pause. I didn't know we were going to do two hours on just half the side of the ball, on the depth chart, but we did. So we're not going to do a, who's going to be the quarterback in 2023 podcast right now. But Nathan, how much more significantly different do you view McCord's future in a world where yours and Miller are not here? Well, Miller was no offense to him, but kind of insignificant in the question, I think at this point, but yours, sure. Because you would think that if, even if yours had stuck around and I didn't think that that was um, out of the question that he might stick around, but it's just, it would be one less competitor for that job in 2023. If common court sticks this out through 2022. And again, let's not forget that quarterbacks sometimes get hurt. So that's the other thing to remember here is you're putting yourself in position to take over this team whenever necessary, if necessary in 2022, a team that is playoff caliber. Then in 2023, you are clearly the front runner to take over as the starter of a team that which could be even better than it will be in this coming year. And you have one less competitor for that. It would basically just be him against Devin Brown for 2023, based on what we know about this roster right now. So it, it changes a little bit. The Ewers, the Ewers factor does change it a little bit. If Ewers were clearly obviously sticking this out through 2022, I think that's a different equation for McCord's family to consider than if it's just him and a guy that's coming in right now as a true freshman. Because it does feel like, Stephen, that it opened up in both ways for Kyle McCord for thinking about 2023. One is CJ was so good by the end of this past season that the idea that this 2022 will be CJ's final year and then he will go to the draft seems like a very possible thing. So that opens up 2023 because it's not CJ's drought back as a starter in year three. And then the two other guys on the roster that would have been competing with Kyle are gone. Not that Devin Brown won't compete because Devin Brown will be in year two by then. And, you know, if McCord doesn't play that much this year either, but it feels like both ways, the path for Kyle McCord seems m- more realistic to stay at Ohio state than it did, felt, you know, when we had a million of these conversations last off season. He's clearly number two now. And I think that helps as well because if, if Quinn is back and now he's got to spend this offseason competing to be the number two quarterback with somebody else along with Devin Brown. And that's a three-man quarterback battle. I don't, I would assume that he would not want to be in another three-man quarterback battle for the other starting job. But now it's you're clearly the number two guy in 2022 because Devin Brown's got to learn this offense. And then next year, next spring, you and Devin compete. And then it's a situation of, you know, every either he wins the job here or he has a conversation with his family and he doesn't win it and he leaves and goes somewhere else or, you know, and that's just I, I, this, this, those two leaving gave the, gave him some clarity on where he fits into how this can go, how this can work basically for the next 24 months here. So, Cause I do think if this is the room, Nathan, right. You have a third year guy is your number one guy. It was a Heisman finalist. Your number two guy 
is a second year guy and your number three guy is a true freshman and they're all highly rated dudes and they're lined up ready to go. How good should Ohio state feel about this quarterback room and succession plan? I think it's pretty solid right now. Again, I think there aren't very many quarterback rooms around the country that would uh, trade that wouldn't trade spots with Ohio state right now. If a coach had their druthers, you know, and the more I've thought about it, you know, we always kind of said that, Hey, we think McCord sticks it out through at least the spring of 2022. I think that was in a world where yours was going to be here. You were going to do that competition and then see where you stood. But now, I mean, I don't really think there's a competition in the spring, right? I mean, CJ Stroud's this team's starting quarterback oh. next mm-hmm. year. I, the, and not just be out of some loyalty to Stroud. I think there, there was enough separation proven there. I don't know if Kyle McCord can close that in one off season. But if he's here for this spring, and it, every sign is that he will be now, I don't see why he wouldn't be here in the fall at this point. That, that, that makes it, it seems like next spring would then be the battleground year for him. Yeah. No, I think I think it it clarified. I think this is pretty darn good. And if we think about this quarterback room this season compared to last season, is it better, as good, or not as good, Stephen? What would you say? Better because the starter is arguably the best quarterback in the country. Kyle McCord has been in the system for a year. And even though you lost yours, he didn't really do anything for you this year. So you can't really quantify that other outside of what a recruiting ranking is. And so like it's still it's three top one top 50 recruits in the room. And I don't know how many other rooms in the country can say that where the top guy is a Heisman Trophy finalist from day one. It's better. Nathan. I think it's better because yours was a non-playing entity last year. And Devin Brown actually comes in probably in a better position to actually play quarterback for you if he needs to than yours was a year ago. Yeah. CJ, with all that experience and it's settled, right? You're not, there's not a competition like he's the guy. McCord has started a game, has a little experience. Even that idea, right? That, I mean, a year ago we were talking about like, the guys who were fighting for the job have like never thrown a pass in college football before. And now CJ throughout Stroud through a bunch of passes that a bunch of guys caught. So uh, yeah, I think this, who have started in a game now. This is a, I think this is like a significantly better quarterback room, especially compared to like this time a year ago, I, whatever our comparison is, I don't know what it is, but even compared to last year in season, it's a better room, I think. Okay. Nathan, that was longer than you expect. Yep. <laughs> Buckeye talk. Well, uh, sock that away. That'll hold you till spring football. You know what? I think we'll come back on Tuesday. We'll do this on the defensive side of the ball, and then we'll just take off until, until spring football. And we'll come back in March on Buckeye talk. We'll just take a good solid like seven weeks to reset ourselves, take a breath. No, I'm just kidding. We'll come back and we'll do another two hours on Tuesday, and then we'll make up stuff to do more on the rest of this week. For now, for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the debut for season eight of Buckeye Talk.